seconds into the beautiful uh, ambient music um we was having uh, a couple of issues we had firstly the space didn't load and then uh, and then we got stuck with some requests so but it looks like we're all good now um and and here you are uh, on this beautiful wednesday as the sec chairman is on the verge of the second etf approval as somebody uh, stamped to the the bitcoin blockchain yesterday so <laughs> yeah pretty cool um yeah, so um, just to kick things off then, um, this entire space is dedicated to navigating 2024. So this has been kind of, uh, I guess 2024 has been anticipated since, I guess, the end of 2021. Uh, definitely definitely throughout 2022 and 2023 when the pain really started to set in. Um, so it's a big year for um, a lot of the projects on the space and just uh, anybody that's working in crypto, to be honest. It's, you know, the, the much anticipated bull year or one of them. Um, and we've also got some pretty crazy things like the ETF, which is something that's been anticipated for multiple cycles, going all the way back to like, I think I read the first ETF approval was like 20, uh, the first ETF request was like 2015 or 2040, really early on. So pretty amazing stuff. Um, and it's a, a great time to be here. So um, if we want to just do some really quick intros, so just two minutes, uh, like just, just quickly, just... Uh, blast through who you are and um what your project is and then we can kick off so um uh, i guess i'll start so um i'm jack um the chief launch officer at lose digital assets which is a blockchain marketing incubation firm run by rock um and also uh, heading up the marketing side on on kinetics rock do you want to go ahead yeah i'm rock zacharias uh, co-founder of QuickSwap and CEO of Lunar Digital Assets, uh, marketing and incubation firm that incubated projects like Polygon, um, QuickSwap, Dogechain, uh, Persistence, uh, P-Stake. Uh, yeah, great to meet you guys. Also, uh, I, uh, core contributor at Dogechain, the, the layer two for smart contracts on Doge. Nice. I think people are going to be hearing a lot more about that one as we go into this cycle and the uh, meme trading really kicks off. Cool. Okay. So, um, Steer, who's manning the Steer account today? Okay. It looks uh, uh Steer is having some difficulties. Lex, do you want to go ahead? Yo, yeah. So, uh, I'm from Passage and uh, I started out uh, about a decade ago working in virtual production. We work with brands like Capital Records, Dallas Cowboys, Red Bull, Warner Brothers, doing all kinds of. Um, different events, experiences, and that kind of led to a lot of the stuff that we're doing with Passage as a kind of a virtual event platform. You can use the word metaverse, but, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a diluted phrase at this point. And, um, yeah, we've been building Passage for about four years. We started off doing events uh, like 
basically as a service for our clients uh, with teams like Warner Brothers, Capital Records, Amazon. And um, now we're trying to make this a, a platform that anyone can use. Awesome. Cool. Great to have you, Alex. Um, hey, everybody. Hey, go ahead, Steph. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Derek. Thank you, Jack, uh, for being so patient with me. Uh, calling from Steer Protocol. We're a off-chain compute platform as well as an automated liquidity management uh, provider. Uh, we do a lot of work with Kinetics over on Kava. And so very excited to talk with you guys today. We run about 780 concurrent strategies across 17 different chains for about 16 different AMMs. So we have one of the largest um, uh, libraries of LP strategies, and we're here hopefully to just deepen the markets and make everyone's life a little bit easier. Awesome. Great to have you. Uh, okay, so we've got uh, Bismay with a bad kid profile picture. Do you want to go ahead? Uh, hey, uh, my name is Billy. I'm from Nodus Protocol, from the core team. In a nutshell, uh, yeah, for Nodus, Nodus defines the money market between uh, lenders looking to earn yields on deposited tables and borrowers looking to amplify holdings with more than their current equity. So we are one of the new kids in the Cosmos ecosystem and we are here to stay and build. So yeah, pretty awesome to be part of this space. Thanks for the invite. Nice, great to have you here. Also, just want to point out before we continue with the um, the intros that um, guests that have requested, so Dave from API3 and a few others, um, just bear with us, we've reached the limit of speakers. And so, um, so we'll have to like bring a couple of people down and then bring you guys up. So just bear with us on that. We're not forgot about you. Um, okay, Fig from Squidrato, go ahead. Hey guys, um, thanks for having me. Great to be here. My name's Fig. I'm one of the co-founders of Squid, which is a protocol which lets you swap between any asset on any chain in one click. And we do it by combining a bunch of modules across crypto. Um, most of the teams here were integrated into, and it's been like really fun just going across. I think we're uh, on 65 chains now, um, and on every chain we're integrating with DEXs and um, different bridging protocols. Um, Axlar is really what started where we started um and yeah so we're we're the best way to get between cosmos and evm at the moment see a bunch of cosmos teams on here and um we're also integrated into kinetics so when you're doing cross-chain swaps in carver they're getting powered by liquidity on kinetics and driving fees to lps awesome great to have you here fig um let's go to uh vincent from the hover team Hey guys, um, how's it going? My name is Vincent. Uh, I've been in crypto since like 2016, doing a lot of uh, liquidity aggregation and uh, institutional sales side. Mostly since was at uh, crypto.com. But uh, yeah, uh, now I'm uh, the core contributor at Hover. Hover is a next-gen uh, lending protocol that was built natively on Kava. We are building the future of DeFi lending and borrowing, and we're looking at you know being able to uh, aim for a more institutional-grade product and uh, focused on retail accessibility. Uh, a few of the things that makes us different is you know, being able to have integrated token economics, uh, supporting our users and our platform. And with that, we have a lot of, uh, uh, we have a lot of the market risk and monitoring intact in as well. Uh, we, yeah, we just uh, launched our early access Genesis pools and we're super excited to have our full protocol launch live on Kava next month. Nice. Definitely be keeping an eye on that one. 
Um, cool. Okay, so looks like we've got. Um, apologies if I butcher your name here, but uh, Aditya from uh, Persistence. Hey, here we go. That was actually a good pronunciation. So good job, hey. there. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, here we are. I'm Aditya. Uh, I've been into crypto since 2020. Uh, so I'm a core contributor to growth at Persistence. Uh, Persistence is basically a purpose-built layer one for maximizing liquid staking yield. Uh, so we uh, our goal is to offer the best user experience for liquid staking and more. And that and more is DeFi. So we do that via two major uh, you know dApps currently, which is well, the first of one, which is P Stake that does LST issuance for Atom, Osmo, and BNB at the moment. And we have XPRD and DYDX liquid staking coming pretty soon. And the other DAP is Dexer, which is a liquidity hub on persistence for these liquid stake tokens. And it is also one of the best places in Cosmos to swap native stables, which is USDC and USDT. And yeah, we've been building in Cosmos since 2019 and our excitement and commitment to Cosmos, you know, remains the same, if not more in 2024. And yeah, uh, pleasure to be here. Great to see a lot of familiar faces, you know, believe, fake, red out there and look forward to the conversation. Nice. Great to have you here. Yeah. Uh, uh, liquid staking is, uh, is huge. It was like, you kind of seen like that was a, you know, a major narrative for the back end of the last forum. But I think the more liquidity that comes into the ecosystem, uh, like just in general, the crypto ecosystem, the more likely people are going to find uh, creative ways to, to use that. So yeah, it's really cool to have you guys here. We've got Mark from Piff. What's up? Jim, Jim, thanks a lot for having me here tonight, uh, where, where I am. Um, I'm a contributor to the Pith Network. The Pith Network is a blockchain oracle uh, specialized in low latency price feeds. Um, we're available on 50 blockchains today, from EVM to Cosmos, like uh, Osmosis, Neutron, Kava, um, and like a few others, plus the Move Chain, Solana, Nier. Uh, so 50 chains in total, about 400 price feeds uh, going from crypto to uh, US stocks, maybe soon ETFs, let's hope. Um, well, let's hope Bitcoin ETFs, I mean, we already have uh, US and international like traditional ETFs, FX commodities. Uh, glad to be here and like being on Kava with Kinetics. Uh, we've been working with them on their more perpetual side. And it's been a great success so far. So congrats and happy to be here tonight. Awesome. Great to have you. Yeah, you, you mentioned the ETFs. We're going to get into that in a second once we finish the intros, because I think um, like it'd be kind of crazy to do a space after what happened yesterday and not discuss that whole thing. So, yeah, we're definitely going to go there. Okay. Oh, um, hey, could I jump in? Pit? You, guys <laughs> yeah, have, go ahead. You, guys, you guys have spread so fast. I mean, you guys. So how long has Pit been? When did you guys go live on your first on the first chain with your oracles? First one, first thanks for the kind words. Uh, first one was Solana. Like the first, let's there was a PSV one. Let's say um, July of 2021. And overall, like with Solana experience and and we saw it that DeFi is growing everywhere. We kind of came up with our current V2. Let's say live in production in december of 22 so it's been just over a year and like overall the products designed to be scalable on everyone's end and so we managed to ship both plenty of price feeds and deploy on many chains 
So what's interesting is for for those who don't know, because uh, we work with you guys fifth on you know multiple things. You guys are so responsive, receptive, and you're expanding so fast, and your product is is powerful. I mean, it definitely gives Chainlink a, a run for their money, and it's kind of interesting that even though you guys are this large multi billion dollar you know project, you know. Uh, with big backings by like Jump and um, uh, who all are you guys? I, I always mix up who your guys' data Virtual, is. Virtual, for example, Sibo is a data publisher to the Pith Network. We have like three uh, US uh, equity exchange publishing data to the network. Um, but we also have like Jane Street, uh, Multicoin, if we're more into the investors. But overall, all the publishers we work to are also stakeholder in the network. Uh, and we have a hundred of them, some very TradFi, some very crypto, some both. So yeah, we've been like lucky and overall we have a great team, um, super committed. And when you build for people uh, that just ship nice things, like it just keeps you motivated. Yeah, I saw, I saw, the, um, I saw the graphic you guys posted. I think it was either earlier this week or back end of last week, just showing how far you guys have spread. And it is mind-blowing, to be honest, because I know Rock, uh, you know, we, we discussed PIF like last year-ish. Um, and just even in that time, like just from when you first started talking about them. I don't know if you remember what Samip said about PIF in the early days when he looked into them. He disc- I might be misquoting here, but didn't, didn't you say he described them as a sword? <clears throat> he was actually quoting uh, Steve, uh, another of our developers, and Steve looked into them for us because we were trying to see would this be as as good as Chainlink for some of our purpose products. And he uh, and Steve described them as uh, he said, "Pith is a fucking sword." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So high high praise. High praise. Thank, yeah. I, thank you very much for all this praise. It's too much, but it's, uh, we'll take it, and we'll the product's permissionless too. So it kind of we have to remain competitive. Uh, to keep our user happy and even growing that. What, what I like about you guys is that, that your approach is, is very uh, interesting and like not a normal approach because like you guys have such big names behind you. You know, you mentioned Jane Street and I think CBOE is one of your data providers and, and Binance and Amber, one of the biggest, you know, Mark Mayer's Galaxy. I'm looking at your site now. Uh, Huobi, Gemini, uh, all these, you know, Jump, KuCoin, these are the data providers. So these are like the Oracle, you know, um, um, the validators, I guess you would might call them. But uh, so with all these big names behind you, you guys have been instead of like, so because the industry was so set on Chainlink for so long and so locked into Chainlink, all the big, you know, uh, projects use Chainlink and, you know, that's kind of the standard. But you guys have this huge backing but you guys started from like, I mean, you started on Solana and then started moving into to EVM and into Cosmos. And uh, it's kind of interesting because you work with some smaller projects that like Chainlink won't get to. So you guys are kind of working from a top down and bottom up approach, just taking market share uh, by not just working with the big ones, but saying, hey, look, we'll work with the medium ones and some of maybe even the smaller ones if they have good promise. Uh, yeah, it's just it's interesting to see how you guys have been expanding. Thanks a lot. Overall, and I'll just try to be super quick. I think we kind of have different design with Chainlink. 
and so different like type of best user. Um, Chainlink have like if you check DeFi Lama, they have a lot of TVR, must be 10x pith, maybe or five or ten. Um, but like they secure Aave compound. They were built with a push model where pretty much it's regularly fed. The pith product fits more in the kinetics, quick perps style. And for example, we have synthetics. Synthetics switch from Chainlink to Pith for this on-demand model. So I think the product is attuned to different people. Uh, and on Perps protocol, you usually have less TVR, but way more value, like moving around every day, which is by itself super valuable. Yeah. So instead of push, where there where Chainlink is pushing every X amount of minutes or whatever, with with Pith, people can pull the data whenever they need it. So if they want to pull it every say ten minutes, they can, and they pay for that. Or if they want to pull it every five seconds or one second or i think you guys even go into milliseconds but uh yeah very interesting yeah the importance of like accurate pricing in the split second when it's required is like absolutely massive like the amount of money and effort and time that goes into this in, in traditional finance um is like unbelievable when you actually look into it and so to have that in crypto like, it's just better to be able to query data up to the second or you know as, as fast as possible basically just uh just a little uh announcement here i'll let um i've just dropped stay for five minutes just so we can bring dave up from api3 um because i think uh, it'd be good to get him to intro himself as well um so uh dave do you want to continue hi guys um nice to be on the Twitter space i'm dave i'm one of the co-founders of api3 Similar to Pith, APR3 is also an Oracle project. And like, thanks, Rock, for detailing differences between push and pull. Um, APR3 is a push Oracle project, differently to Pith, or differently to Pith. We supply data to a number of different chains, including Carver, and we supply data to Kinetics' perpetual protocol on Carver. Um, APR3 is a first-party Oracle. We provide data that's transparently and verifiably decentralized. Um, and we're also building data feeds that combine the benefits of a push oracle with the benefits of a pull oracle. Because while Pith, oh, sorry, while um, Mark was correct, Pith and pull oracles in general can give you this kind of infinite granularity, redesigning trusted um, smart contracts that have been battle tested to use a pull architecture oracle normally involves potentially risky changes or using compromises like price pushes. So by having a native push oracle, you can get a reliable data feed without needing all of those and have an incredibly um, like responsive and decentralized way of getting data on chain. But what we've also done is we've got the best of both worlds. So we're shortly going to be announcing more about our Oracle extractable value solution. And what this essentially means is that people can also trigger extra push updates and they can bid for the rights to trigger those. We expect this to supplement a lot of the MEV around liquidations um, and practically doing some of the research on mainnet Ethereum for this for the last few months. We expect it means that protocols that have to pay um, or protocols that have searches that normally would pay for priority at the block producer level um, should save around 99% conservatively of the cost to liquidate users. So then that acts as either a way of helping preserve users' liquidity or an extra revenue stream for the protocol. Um, but yeah, excited to be in the space and um, thanks for the time. See, what, I'm, what I'm happy about with both uh, API3 Pith is that 
Chainlink, as as solid as Chainlink is, and and I've come over the years too. I, I there was a I'll say Chainlink is one of the projects that I kind of got wrong. I think in in some ways, or at least maybe they changed. And I think a lot of devs that I talk to feel similarly is that Chainlink, you know, was more centralized early on, and the technology wasn't you know incredibly great. It was, but it worked for what people needed. And I was kind of, I thought people were maybe overly bullish on Chainlink. And then they just started rolling out all these new products and, and updating their, you know, how their, their protocol worked and things. And over time, I, myself and I think a lot of other builders uh, thought, okay, Chainlink is, has become really solid and, and, some, and a force to be reckoned with. But the problem there is that you don't want to have just one person in any category dominating the space because like for those who've worked with Chainlink, they're impossible to work with in that they don't respond, they're slow. They'll tell you, hey, we'll try to get to your chain in six months. But then in six months, like they're like, no, we can't get to it. And so having more options is good for the consumer. It's good for the builder. It's good for all the different chains, right? Because Chainlink isn't going to go everywhere. Well, now they better, they better kind of hurry because if they don't, uh, both Pith and API3 will go there. And we'll start taking more and more of the market share and providing new types of products, as you can see the comparisons here between push and pull, and there's a bunch of other things. Um, having competition is great for, for the consumer and great for all the builders. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, definitely. And it's good to have the balance as well, because they're both taking slightly different approaches. Um, one thing that I want to get into in a, a little later on um, is just talking about um, some of the industry trends for 2024, like what you guys see coming in. I think Oracle data providers and infrastructure providers in general are kind of uniquely placed to see through the veil a little bit and to see you know uh what's ahead because based on what teams they're working with and what's been built so yeah it's, it's kind of interesting to have you guys on so trevor see your hand up there you've not intro so please go ahead yeah 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 um thanks for thanks for ha ha having me and putting this all together um so i'm up here representing uh you know our awesome team at, at dora hacks we're you know, a lot of you may already know who we are. Uh, we're a global leader uh, in, in hackathons and the global hacker movement. Like we have like a hundred thousand plus devs running through our platform every month. Uh, you know, we, we've helped, uh, you know, fund so many projects and uh, we're working with over a hundred. Hold on, hold on. I got to stop you, man. A hundred thousand devs a yeah. month. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we have about a hundred thousand monthly active dev users a month. It, it, it's a metric ton. Like, wow. I wish it was more. You know, we have more devs out there than that. You know, but, uh, but yeah, we work with over. It shows how much the space has grown. The fact that you guys, you know, obviously you do amazing work. The fact that you can boast 100,000 devs. Like, think about this space five, 10 years ago. Like, there's like a very, very lonely space. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you guys, you guys can say that is, is incredible. Really. Yeah. And I, in 2015, <laughs> when I joined the space, I'm guessing there was like probably under a, a thousand devs in the entire industry. You know? Yeah. Well, it started with like one dev, right? Or a couple of devs, you know, Satoshi or Satoshi's, you know, whoever, whoever Satoshi or, might be or multiple people but yeah you know, jackson palmer making doge that was like <laughs> yeah, one person like, like with single digits so the fact that you can say you got a hundred thousand devs on your play it's just an amazing space to be in when it's blowing up like this um <laughs> maybe i'm just really positive at the moment because of all the etf and everything else but 
Yes. Great to be here, guys. Nah, man, you were positive. You were positive a year ago in the depths of the bear market. You're you're kind of similar to me. We're both. I mean, even when times are hard, we're both like optimists and kind of permables. Yeah. <laughs> Bad for the portfolio, but I think great for the state of mind. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think this the space kind of kind of attracts those that kind of feel the same way. You know. Yeah, the optimists, right? Because if you want, if you're gonna go throw yourself into an industry that's like completely untested essentially and it's like you know uh, awaiting regulatory scrutiny it's awaiting you know like uh, like all the bankruptcies and stuff we've had over the last few years it's kind of a terrible place to work sometimes but then uh, at the same time you know you kind of like building the building the future so i think it attracts people that are optimistically yeah. leaning I, I think you, but yeah it's it's probably trev uh really is and you guys do amazing work yeah i, I, th I think you I think you have to be optimistic you know you, you really do otherwise what's the point but uh yeah thanks for having us cool okay and then we've got um looks like uh red eye from shade what's going Hello. on guys thanks for having me on uh happy to be here representing shade protocol just give a quick background on Shade for anyone uh, who's not familiar. Shade is a suite of privacy-preserving DeFi applications built on top of uh, the Secret Network, which is an IBC-connected layer one smart contract platform uh, within the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, and specifically, when I'm talking about privacy preservation, I'm talking about smart contract interactions, such as interacting with the Shade DApps. Um, those all have encrypted inputs and outputs, so only the users know what they're actually doing. Um, and that also extends to uh, balances as well. Our, our suite of products is currently uh, has five core products in it, um, but we've got some more coming down the pipeline in the near future. Currently, uh, we have a hybrid DEX uh, that utilizes a novel concentrated liquidity curve. We have a, uh, a borrowing market, a privacy preserving borrowing market for Silk, which is actually our flagship product. Uh, Silk is a private over collateralized stablecoin pegged to a basket of uh, currencies and commodities. Um, and I can, I'm happy to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but uh, we also have a privacy-preserving bonds product, and we create uh, private liquid staking derivatives um, for both Layer 1 tokens and uh, SNP20 tokens, which is just the, the private token standard for Secret Network. Um, we're going to be having other liquid staking derivatives coming down the pipeline. We've got a, a private borrowing and lending market or a generalized borrowing lending market, a Trader Joe-style liquidity book. and um, it's just a whole lot of activity. We're trying to bring mature global financial uh, access to to the masses. Love love all the stuff you guys are building. Um, I'm I'm curious. Are you guys in talks with any institutions? Because it seems like institutions would be probably the the biggest kind of customer for what you guys are building. I would think. Rock I mean, besides like uh, what's that? That's the same rock going straight for the alpha. Yeah. Like, what, what institutions are you guys talking to <laughs> i mean to me that's the institution should be laser-eyed looking for privacy solutions because they don't want their their laundry out for the whole world to see they don't want people front running them they don't want people knowing what trades they're making they don't know want people knowing what assets they're holding unless they choose to share those things yeah we've had a decent amount of institutional interest um people that are aware of the amount uh like the cost associated with MEV um, and other ecosystems and wanting to leverage that privacy preservation. Um, you know, a lot of that is dependent on being able to 
like handle the amount of volume that's coming from some of these institutional uh, partners or uh, entities. And a lot of the upgrades that we're going to be providing for some of our uh, current products, one of the big ones is our liquidity order book that's coming. Be really, really big for efficiency. Um, yeah, there's a lot of interest in Silk. A lot of people uh, kind of doubted the model uh, that, you know, stable coins needed, you know, kind of this revamping um, and this laser focus on being able to preserve the privacy of uh, their user bases, especially in commerce. Um, and so, yeah, I think the future is bright. Nice. Well, great to have you here. And I will just say as well, um, it's good work that you guys are doing pushing the privacy because it's a it's an area that is uh, not only difficult to develop in but risky. And so the fact that you guys are, are doing that good work is, is really good because it, it takes trailblazers like the Shade team and like others that are working on privacy um, to make it so that privacy stays on the agenda and so that it's something that we can all benefit from. And to a certain extent, you guys are taking great personal risk doing this. Um, so the fact that you guys are working on it is is pretty commendable, in my opinion. Yeah, we talked about this quite a bit last week, so we won't go uh, into it uh, as much. But it is it is super important. It is risky, and you guys being on the uh, on the cutting edge and 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 pushing that that narrative forward and making sure that things like this that the, the some of these ethos that really matter to uh, to this industry and to the world and to, to privacy and to human rights that, uh, that we keep them at the forefront because general public doesn't care so much about privacy until they do, until something happens. And so it's important that smart, big brains guys like you guys over at, at Shade push this stuff. And I think one way that you can not go the way of like Tornado and, and some of these others is, is getting the like kind of regulatory and institutional capture. That's why I ask about, you know, our institutions getting involved, because if you can get some big institutions involved, then the regulators will maybe see things your way more than if it's like just a bunch of cowboys uh, that are talking about like, you know, fuck the government or stuff like that. That's that doesn't the government doesn't like that. But if it's, you know, BlackRock saying, hey, we need privacy for our our on chain data, then, you know, that's a different story. Yeah, for sure, for sure yep. definitely. Um, so um, to get into some of the topics for today, so by the way, guys, um, we're not going to go around and ask questions. You can feel free to jump in if you've got stuff to contribute. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Um, you can you can skip this question. But So um, to start things off then, I think like we should address the elephant in the room, which is what the hell happened yesterday with the ETFs? Absolutely crazy. The, the, probably the best moment on Twitter that I've had uh in the last 12 months for sure um and I, a lot of people lost a lot of money some people probably made a lot of money but yeah what what's everybody's thoughts on that whiplash is my feeling yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was like a movie man <laughs> that was literally a movie it really was it was it was a crypto movie moment yeah. for sure if if they do make a movie about our industry in the future that that should for sure that, that should was, be in it that was our big short moment that was insane that was like trading a meme coin like if you saw that, it was like, oh, <laughs> I I didn't really believe it at first. And then they were saying stuff like, oh, you should uh, uh, basically you should look to the SEC for for basically news and facts, and always look to the SEC. But then they're the ones that got hacked as well. It was like an old tweet that they had. It's pretty funny. It was 
It was wild. And and all the stuff about them tweeting out about cybersecurity awareness month and 2FA and your account and stuff, it just got better and better. The more people... No. Yeah, it was really crazy. Like, so what? just to set the scene here, right, just in case anybody on this space just was dead yesterday or something and they didn't hear any news. <laughs> yeah, basically, so um, the SEC uh, was compromised. They tweeted out the... Be- the Bitcoin ETF had been approved, that all of them had been approved and they were going to start trading. And then 15 minutes later, Gensler clarified the situation and said that they weren't. But then people were like thinking, is Gensler hacked? Like who, there was a bit of time where they didn't delete the original hack tweet. So we didn't know actually what the situation was, um, which was even wilder. And I think, yeah, uh, from, a, from a leverage point of view, that's a, a good argument for avoiding leverage, I think, for those types of events. So... I mean, obviously, the official story is that it was a hack. But metaphorically speaking, if you had access to the SEC's Twitter account for an unspecified length of time, why would you wait until that precise moment? I don't know, man. I thought before like... before wait, releasing no, this carefully crafted tweet with an image in, wait, wait, when you, you could have done anything else. No, you can make whoever there was. A, was it, Jack? I think it was you that told me there was like a billion dollars liquidated. That's yeah, if you yeah. if you can get a hold of the account at that moment, it is literally the it's a it's a trade that's been waiting but, to happen for three four actually ten years. It's been. But how would they know the SEC wouldn't approve it the day before? Yeah, or the that, day before that. that. So, mm, so this interesting. Makes think that that maybe yeah. they somebody just tried to two FA them because of all that everybody they knew everybody was waiting on the SEC's approval, mm. right? Um, yeah, maybe not, notwithstanding the fact that. Um, like generally speaking, the SEC doesn't make announcements straight away on Twitter before doing it anywhere else. But um, you know, because we're crypto people, right? We only think Twitter first. Um, so I think probably what happened was somebody just saw all the hype around the ETF and just tried it, rather than that they compromised it a long time ago and just sat with it. I mean, if they did, kudos to them because that moment was pretty well timed. <laughs> I mean, so they all they would have had to do is just write write that before they tweet go. 100x long with a uh, uh, hundred million dollars yeah. or whatever, and then yeah, but- that, and then and then and then oh, almost immediately after you know it starts peaking, sell and then just wait for the real you know for them to come out and say that would happen. Why wouldn't you mention it on a coin with lower liquidity or announce something off this wall that would have triggered bots looking at that account? I don't know. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Like- you know, I heard a lot of people breaking. This. There's been a lot of discussion about this, so people have gone into all kinds of stuff, like how the post was worded. So some people were saying that they published a draft tweet, yep. um, but then other people were disagreeing, saying that you know the SEC would never use the uh, little Bitcoin emoji symbol uh, and some other stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know about that, but uh, like generally speaking, the most sense I've heard out of this is that it's kind of odd because. People like the the move there was to deny the ETF because to deny the ETF, like to say something catastrophically bad about the ETF, like they're non-compliant and they're never going to be or some some crazy stuff like that um, would have caused a massive amount of like cascade liquidations probably. And uh, they probably would have made more money shorting in that instance than than going long. That's an interesting point. Yeah, because, you know, we uh, have some purpose products that we've built and uh looking at them like yeah everywhere it was all longs it was so you should go yeah you're right you make a lot more money betting against the crowd 
and being right, not betting with the crowd. I can, yeah, I can see the Great SEC point. account uh, using a cash tag. I mean, Gary's doing Twitter threads now, so they might yeah. just be getting hit. Gary is a he's a, he's a he. I I think that he is a a Bitcoin maxi. I think that's that's what Gary is because you know I I, I watched his courses from MIT and you know he was he, he was so pro Bitcoin and even in general it felt like he was open to Web three but then he attacks all these projects. It's like either either it's just that people in the government are pushing him to be like that or he's just attacking anything that's not Bitcoin. I don't, I don't know which it is. Yeah, I think we discussed on a previous space, uh, maybe all roads or something, about the idea of Gary the man and Gary the SEC chair being two different things, right? Like he's playing a role as SEC chair that like necessitates certain viewpoints based on who's lobbying. I imagine. Um, yeah. And then there's like Gary the person who has his own views. Like apparently, it's mega bullish on Algorand as an example. Yeah, the problem with the whole like hashtag or emoji usage, you know, uh, uh, theories is that you expect some kind of consistency out of the SEC, which is just not what we're getting. <laughs> yeah, they are the most uh, they're the most insane regulatory body on the planet at the moment. I think. Well, it's funny because, like, if you look at the previous uh, chair, Jay Clayton, he was like. Man, he was just as bad as as he was. Maybe not as bad as Gary uh, towards altcoins, but he was pretty bad, right? He really bad. Just said all these negative things about crypto in general, uh, Bitcoin too. Uh, and then when he got out of office, he all of a sudden now is getting on spaces with Larry Fink, not spaces, getting on you know interviews and stuff with Larry Fink and others, saying how this is like a revolutionary thing. And how Gary is going too hard on the industry and how stable coins are going to be like this huge thing in the world. I mean, it's crazy to see the change of heart these guys have when they get out of political office. And then it's kind of the same thing, right, with uh, with Gary. He was teaching courses on this at MIT and talking about how great these were and talking about his buddies over at Algorand and how it's this great project. And then he gets in office and he hates it. And I wouldn't be surprised if when he gets out of office, he all of a sudden starts working in this industry. It's, it's ridiculous. The revolving door keeps revolving, right? So, Apparently the ETFs have just been accepted. Oh, shut up. This don't just, no, a, friend, a friend's messaged it to me, and I don't think they're trolling. So we're going to kick you off the space of your message. <laughs> I can't really just delve into the Edgar SEC filings mid-space without explaining my silence. So, so apparently I'll go off and try and find some proof. I did hear some rumors earlier today that um, they was going to approve but, them upon market close in the US, right? I mean, obviously, crypto uh, markets don't close, uh, but yeah. Uh, not that it really matters because, like, obviously, the reason you would do that is to stop the market moving or give the market time to cool off. But crypto markets twenty four seven anyway, so it literally makes no difference. But um, at least they can have, if they have been approved, they can have a clear shot at tomorrow's. Uh, there's yeah, there's people po- there's people posting that it's approved. I don't. There's no source though. Bitcoin Magazine just posted it. The see if you look on the Edgar filings, the SEC published things there before they tweet them out. Um. Which is, uh, I can't. I don't have the exact link to hand. Well, we are selling off a bit, so that would fit this. Like, uh... yeah, it's been. I mean, even the the Wisdom Tree funds just been certified. It's happened in the last half hour, so I think they are all going to be. Yeah, this uh, certification by an exchange proven securities list. So, Jack, I don't know. 
when I when I when you and I were on a call yesterday and I was like, could it be a sell the news thing? You know, and, and you said, well, that would be difficult because it's it's not just a news event. It's an actual opening up of, yeah. of uh, yeah. demand. So there are people that have been waiting on the sidelines for years to actually buy these products. So maybe there's a slight sell off on the news right now. But then once they actually open, I mean, it's almost inevitable that. There will yeah, be money flowing. Right. There has well, to and be you, money flowing into. You got to factor well, I'll, in I'll, um, because those people want to get in. They also want to get a good deal, right? So think about you know the implications of like you know if you're talking about speculating on price manipulation with the tweet, right? And you know the benefit being more to the short side than the long side, right? I think we've got to consider the same thing here that there could easily be a benefit institutionally for people to get a better price going into the CTF. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So th there's two things, right, that are, are different here, I think. There's the announcement, which is one thing, and then there's the flow of capital that's going to come into the space over the next 12 months. That's a very different thing, right? You can trade the announcement, but I think once people start to understand, like there's, there's a couple of things, right? So we know from like TradFi that um, people in TradFi have a longer time horizon than people in crypto, mainly because you know no offense guys but we're all on twitter 24 7 like looking at every little tiny piece of news and and reacting really horrendously to it because we used to looking at the, the color of you know where he's high that day and, and how he's feeling yeah. that day. Yeah. i think i think this is a this is a a very unique industry and i think tradfight thinks about things slightly differently to us so they'll see the benefit of buy and hold a lot more easily than maybe some of some of the crypto community does. Um, so that's the first thing. You know, usually, for example, if you allocate something in a pension fund, it sits for multiple decades while the, the, the beneficiaries of the pension fund retire and so on. And people generally adjust strategies very infrequently, like, you know, the, this idea of, you know, you have the split of um, stocks to bonds in your portfolio. And then people talk about as you age, you slowly transition that to be more bonds. So it's more secure and so on. This is like the way people generally think about traditional finance. So crypto is a lot different. So the people that are coming in now have different time preferences. So that's the first thing, which is great because we have an asset that's incredibly limited supply. So long time preferences is really good for that. Second thing is, you know, legally speaking, the majority of the people that are going to be buying haven't actually been able to buy before. Because if you issue a prospector, if you're a pension fund, right, and you issue a prospector saying that your members can invest in ETFs, stocks, bonds, like vanilla stuff, and your members sign up under that um, understanding, then you can't just load up on Coinbase and, and fire in your uh, new fresh capital from your, your pensions. Like You just can't do that. It's, it's not possible. So um, that is like a sort of separate group of people that wouldn't like physically have been prevented from buying. So the ETF is absolutely getting front run by everybody, people in the crypto space. They were worried they've not got enough Bitcoin to become generationally wealthy. Um, and also people in TradFi who can access the crypto markets because the ones that do have the discretion to be able to hold riskier assets, probably we know have been doing that, right? And then there's the ETF issuers themselves who have been, like I've heard various reports that people have been buying to seed their ETFs in varying amounts, like some tens of millions, some more. Um, so there's that also that's been happening over the last few months. So that's kind of a lot of mess. But I think the reality is, as we go into free 2024 and beyond, that um, there's now a massive amount of capital that just couldn't access Bitcoin before that now can. And potentially, Bitcoin ETF opens the door to ETH ETF, and so on and so on. And then you end up with this kind of cascade of liquidity into the space. 
which is pretty exceptional. And everybody that's been here before the CTF is going to benefit from that in one way or another. So I think, hey, yeah. Hey, just in, I don't know if this is another uh, mistake, but Laura Shin posts, SEC approves all 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs, and she puts a link to the SEC website. You go there and it says, oops, page Yeah, the link now. for it falls. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I just saw that. <laughs> No way. DB posted it. So it must have existed at yeah. some point and they quoted it. Now I got to post this just know. in, Laura Shin. No. It's probably overloaded. This, this, in this is, this is the, the, best, the best timeline. You know, people talk about like parallel timelines. This is the most entertaining one for sure. Things like, like, uh, I don't think people be, are surprised. I know we're supposed to be, this is a cosmos spaces into the cosmos, but I guess this affects everyone. So it kind of, yeah, we are, by, by the way, we are going <laughs> to drift slowly towards cosmos related topics ending in, in some governance stuff. So just bear with us on that. If you're here for the hardcore cosmos stuff, apologies, but this is really funny. So wait, so what's going on? Is this fake? Is this, is this another? Some reputable Twitter accounts quoted from it in their posts. Well, DB, you, Seems to be pretty reliable about these kind of things, um, and then know, but then link for fours. I only know one thing: I'm not selling any Bitcoin, and so <laughs> regardless of whether they they hack the whole SEC, whether Gary comes out as a maxi, like whatever, man, I don't know. I I, I that would be I, bullish. I, I take the sailor approach of like you know Bitcoin is a land grab rather than a speculative asset. Like if there's 21 million Bitcoin and we are transitioning to a Bitcoin is mainstream and in everybody's portfolios worldview. It just, other than to pay bills and for necessities, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all to sell it because you, you'll sell it and you will always pay a higher price for it eventually. Um, yeah, that's, that's the way I think, but maybe I'm reckless. Yeah, I've been holding my, everybody knows I've been holding my Bitcoin since 2015 and just accumulating. I never sell. Yeah, one of the maximally one of the really cool things about it's slightly <clears throat> adjacent to Bitcoin, but like uh, one of the really cool things about Silk for anyone who hasn't checked out uh, the peg is the inclusion of commodities like Bitcoin in the peg, and so especially uh, as a result of the in, like rise in interest in speculation and Bitcoin ETFs being approved, uh, Bitcoin's contribution to our peg is like continue to grow, and in large part, it's been. Um, you know, the driver of appreciation and value and like that inflation resistance. So I'm, I'm actually really uh, hopeful that we'll see other, uh, you know, other stable coins or uh, that, that are including Bitcoin and other commodities like it in their pegs. Am I right in thinking that uh, about six months ago, Tether announced, and maybe it was longer, that Tether announced that they was buying tons of BTC each month? I can't remember the exact numbers, but I feel like that was a 2023 headline. But yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, either way, it's, it's great to have it because it, it shores up everybody's treasuries, right? Like the fact that this, the majority of uh, crypto projects will have some Bitcoin and ETH in the treasury. And the fact that, um, you know, the assets appreciating is really positive for the whole space because it means that altcoins in general, as a general thing, are slightly. Uh, more not secure but like slightly more uh financially robust than they were six months ago you know when bitcoin was up in in the lows right it's a really positive thing everybody's got more capital to deploy to build to pay for marketing etc 
I was a huge fan of what Terra Luna was doing by holding Bitcoin. It's really unfortunate that their model and their and all, however they managed it and the risk management was wrong. And then there was other things that compounded the issue, uh, like bear market and you know Binance, uh, you know, and all, all this crazy stuff that happened. But I was really optimistic and, and, and a huge fan of the fact that they were using Bitcoin uh, to to back it, and they were buying up billions of dollars of Bitcoin. So I fully support any. Any stable coin that's that's trying to do that, uh, and I think that Bitcoin is the end game stable coin. I think that most stable coins are bridges. They're things that we will use until uh, Bitcoin becomes like the world reserve currency, and that might not be for twenty years. So you know these could still be great businesses for twenty years. But I think uh, once Bitcoin's volatility goes away, Bitcoin will be the stable coin you hold because it doesn't have inflation, and these stable coins are all pegged to things with inflation which is a inherently just like a non-starter. It's kind of crazy that um, we had this regulatory crackdown on stable coins in the US with, with the US going after BUSD and then, and then also um, for a while circle with USDC because they, um, I'm not sure on the numbers, but I'm pretty sure they were like massive, a massive part of the US treasury market and they were like responsible for, they, they were like significant in terms of what they were buying. And so it's like, it's kind of crazy because you would want, like, given the situation the U.S. is in with debt and everything else, you would want more buyers in the market, right? And the U.S. the, the U.S. stable coins were, like, hyper-dominant. I know Tether is Tether's still hyper-dominant. That's something like a $90 billion market cap. But, you know, this this kind of organic demand for USD that was coming from the crypto industry um, was kind of kneecapped when they started going after those coins, I feel. Yeah, I mean, when you think about, like specifically talking about Bitcoin here, when you think about Bitcoin and its potential contributions to stablecoin markets, you can think about it like from a, a collateral standpoint or like in the case of uh, Silk, where it's a component of the peg or it's like part of uh, what your stablecoin is pegged to. Um, and so Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin is also phenomenal collateral uh, or like some wrapped uh, form of it um, is great collateral as long as you trust the you know whatever entity wrapped that asset. Um, yeah, I, I, personally, I'm I'm really excited to see more like real world asset and like commodity contribution to DeFi economies. Um, Bitcoin's obviously a great starter because it's you know a more native crypto asset, but uh, yeah. So um, on the note of real world assets, um kind of wanted to get into some trends for 2024. So, you know, a lot of the guys here have founded large projects. Um, you know, the likes of Pith and API Free are doing the the data side um, for a lot of people building in the space and they have eyes all over the industry in multiple different chains. So interested to hear what you guys think about um, what's coming up, what's going to be big, like broad trends so that people can start to do something. Is this a question directed at Pith or is this directed at everyone? No, it's everyone. I just highlighted those guys because um, obviously through through providing Oracle services, you get to work with a lot of teams as they're building. And so you kind of you could see like broader trends, I guess. I think there's been a lot of interest recently on kind of liquid staking and liquid staking derivatives for Ethereum and for other protocols as well. Like a lot of people are realizing you can get decent yield denominated in the token of the chain you probably like by staking to like back its security. And now that people are able to do other things with it, I think there's um, 
there's an interesting narrative developing around that. And the other thing I'm seeing is the kind of um, data availability layers, obviously like Celestia and Cosmos, um, Eigenlayer for Ethereum, near pivoting to be more of a data availability solution. And they could potentially make transacting on rollups and layer twos even cheaper. Um, so it's an interesting, interesting development. And I think that combined with uh, potentially for the Ethereum layer twos, Protodank sharding coming up pretty soon, making transactions, well, I, they make Oracle operations 90% cheaper. I think they make normal transactions a bit cheaper. So everything should get a lot, a lot easier and a lot more interesting on layer twos, on rollups, and, and on other chains and um, this year. Celestia is a, a great example. Sorry, I'm, 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 I think I heard everything you said, but I'm in the background doing a million things while we're this, all this is going down. But uh, yeah, Celestia, you know, a Cosmos chain is, is going to be now servicing basically all of, uh, I think, a lot of EVM because yes. of the data availability yeah. for like Polygon just announced their uh, CDK, uh, their chain developer kit which is now being used by, you know, OKX and Immutable and Dogechain and uh, Polygon's own ZKVM and Nubank. And I think I keep, I'm not, I need to check on this one, but I think DraftKings will be making one. And then just today they announced that uh, it's um, uh, Hamilton, uh, a big, big uh, investment fund guys are, are making their chain. And so all, a lot of these I know are already discussing. I think, I think OKX, Damn it! Um, I so all these different uh, layer two chains are going to be using a Cosmos data availability service, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean the, the flip side of that as well is with Eigenlayer, um, ETH stakers can secure other layer ones and other layer twos, so you can end up with this whole entwined ecosystem where no matter what side you're rooting for, you can still help support everyone. And it kind of reinforces the narrative in crypto that like a rising tide lifts all boats where if everything does well, if if the infrastructure is developed that plays nicely with all the other chains, there's not there might not necessarily be one winner. And I think that's a good thing. I think people should have choice. It reinforces the fact that if one system has a problem, then there are backups. And yeah, I think it's a really good thing for the space. To play devil's advocate to that for anybody that wants to argue against me is um the the idea of like you know complex systems the more complex the system becomes it tends towards you know uh like disintegration or collapse what do you guys think to that so if we if we've got um you know this model where ETH stakers are securing other chains and so on and um, that that'll event that could it's like basically it's a systematic risk the more uh intertwined we all become we do become stronger in some ways but then there's the risk of like systemic collapse that's a fair yeah, point. I think, and yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, just quickly to chime in. I, you know, I do you know resonate with that thought, uh, especially around you know systemic risk increasing with uh, more and more derivatives or more and more layers as we you know add on top of uh, native tokens. If you see maybe liquid staking is just one layer on top of a native token, uh, or other is just a representative on top of another layer which is staking, and then you have these LP tokens for liquid staking which is another layer. And then we have protocols using these LP tokens to do various purposes. So I think it definitely does add a lot of systemic risk in that sense. But I think uh, especially DeFi protocols are being more and more cognizant to ensure that the the risk reward ratio is still maintained. You know, it's it's adding systemic risk in a way that is favorable for its participants. Uh, you know, making it more of a positive sum game. 
So yeah, uh, that's uh, my two cents. Well, what's cool about it too is, I mean, this happens in, I'm trying to think of some examples, but like in evolution, this happens, right? Our, our entire human bodies are built on a bunch of, you know, systems and protocols that evolved from mutations over you know, hundreds of millions of years. Uh, and if one of those turned out to be wrong, we die. And then maybe our species dies, right? And that has happened actually to most species that have ever existed. But th this same thing happens in business and the same thing happens in technology and the internet and the same thing happens in Web3. Now in Web3, the consequences can be more dire because there's value built in this layer on top of a layer on top of a layer and the onion has so many layers. Um, but the way that we hope that it works out is the hacks, the breakages, the exploits, these things happen early on, things get battle tested, pieces of code get battle tested. And then over time, the ones that survive, the ones that have like a Lindy effect, that they become strong enough and stable that you can build things on and they can all be tied together. But yeah, there is definitely that risk of like, these are, a lot of these pieces are, they remind me of like what Warren Buffett says, you know, that derivatives, I, I believe his quote is something like deri derivatives are, uh, or leverage and derivatives are like weapons of mass, uh, financial weapons of mass destruction. And if you build things on top of things, on top of things, on top of things, and one of those things breaks, yeah, you could have the whole system collapse. And we saw, as an example, that with USDC, when USDC depegged, we saw the industry was way more exposed to like this kind of systemic risk than anybody had imagined. And, you know, I, I'm building all these DeFi products. I, you know, built QuickSwap, which was the first layer two decks to a billion in volume a day. And, um, you know, I didn't realize like even our system was dependent on, on USDC because US, I mean, I did know this, but I never really thought about it often. And it's that our, all of our um, prices are, were, were pegged to USDC. So when USDC started going off, other prices of other unrelated assets on the, on the deck started going out of, out of like uh, on the analytics started getting weird. And then, you know, you, and then, Fra you know, Frax was holding USDC and Dai was holding USDC and liquidations were based on USDC. So, you know, one piece going wrong can collapse an entire system. And, and that is a problem. But I think over time, Lindy effect is the answer is, yeah, things will break. There will be systemic collapses and risks and things. But over time, the things that survive, uh, those things will be, they'll be safe enough over time to build on top of things and build on top of those things in these Lego, yeah, like, DeFi Legos. It's like um, a, a real yep. survivorship bias, right? Where um, the, longer, the longer things, like the more things that survive, basically, um, they tend to be the things that are like, anti-fragile because they've been through so much so much stuff over the years like with other systemic collapses like you know for example projects in the uh, cosmos ecosystem since this is a cosmos space that survived the collapse of terra luna and came out the other side fighting it's it's pretty safe to assume that those teams and the the way the treasuries were managed during that period were really solid because they were faced with a real really really bad systemic issue which is the main stablecoin, the most liquid stablecoin in their ecosystem was destroyed completely, not just depegged, but absolutely wiped out. And, you know, we know a lot of these projects held treasuries in UST and so on. So oh, the fact that so many, man, so yeah, many people and carried on. It's like you say with the Lindy effect, if it's been around a while, it's more likely to continue. And But it's more than that. It's almost more like um, <laughs> the sort of scarred, the battle scars that you carry from the previous bear markets are kind of 
like they you know they denote strength right as you go forward into the into the new bull markets because they're they're the the proof that you was been you've been there you've done it you survived FTX you survived Luna three arrows and everything else in between right yeah every bear market I think eighty to ninety percent of crypto people exit you know by the end of the bear market they're all exited and the people that are still there they deserve what's coming the the positivity of what's coming I mean I know in two thousand and um 18 and 19 lunar digital assets our, our marketing and incubation firm struggled it was it was very difficult times um and but guess what all the other you know firms around us that were offering similar services uh they all collapsed and they were gone so when the industry turned around in 2020 2021 i mean we lda had 200 projects in 2021 come to us for marketing and incubation we turned down something like 197 of them we only took three so like when that when you survive these bear markets you it's a wide open field and uh and the uh, you know the upside is incredible so you know kudos to anyone who's survived this bear market and is still here when things are turning around it's 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 go time yeah i definitely agree yeah i think so, so what so what it sounds like uh liquid staking is a key trend for 2024 um that's one thing that's come up definitely and it I mean, sounded like the, uh, so this is my go ahead Dave. sorry that, that was my personal opinion but i want to caveat it with the fact that i've been in crypto for 10 years and don't have a lambo or a yacht yet so you should probably take my my opinions Wait, about is, what is might that, be a key is, theme going forward um, is that a good thing or a bad thing though dave do you want the yacht and the lambo or are you saying no i i like working in crypto to be honest like, i absolutely love it it's i think it's the most it's the most interesting space to be in um, okay, that's so. that's good then. So it could it could be like a lack of success, or it could be a hum, you know more humble approach, which is always or, or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so it looks like um, uh, Aditya, did you want to say something just then? I cut you off. I think. Yeah, I was just you know attesting to the fact of what you were mentioning uh, about uh, you know just building through bears. You know, we've been here since 2019. We've seen almost two cycles. I, I think one thing that it gives you is just thick skin, right? And, uh, you know, it gives you an ability to think over long term and the ability to execute over shorter terms, which I believe is a true mode for any project out there. You know, if you can have a vision that, you know, you need to survive. I think survivorship bias, a lot of people have talked about this right now, uh, is a clear differentiator as a project. You know, if you are not here for the short term game, but to build something for the longer term, right? Yeah, and on yeah. this is the topic of narratives or even just trends as well. I think liquid staking, obviously, you know, it's been big in Ethereum, maybe last cycle as well. You know, the whole looping of an RA of SDE, a lot of, you know, unstaking being allowed on Ethereum. I think Cosmos is still pretty nascent that way. We're still very, very much just getting started. I think not more than 2% of Atom is actually staked Atom, rather 2% of all staked Atoms liquid stake currently, which is, you know, nothing. It's just bare and bones compared to mature ecosystems like Ethereum. So uh, I think, you know, we really see things kick off, uh, you know, with more and more utility for, you know, tokens like SDK tokens by PStake or ST tokens by Stride or Q tokens by, you know, Quicksilver, uh, you know, as more and more uh, utility, utility in terms of new projects airdropping to liquid stake tokens, maybe the f uh, future to, you know, participate in governance as, as liquid staking providers, you know, try to, or come to a place where the base asset, uh, you know, doesn't need to exist in its liquid form anymore. Uh, as that comes more to fruition, you know, we'll see more adoption for liquid staking. Obviously, you know, that is my bias as well because we are in this niche of liquid staking. But me personally, what I'm, you know, see as a big trend is security or just borrowing of security 
you know we've talked about all the risk all the systemic risks i, I think you know more and more projects are going to be uh, in a position where they would want to deleverage their risks and you know inherent acts inherit as much security as possible you know we already had igelner announced yesterday that they're bringing security cosmos we have mess security in the work intestine security in the works uh, i think btc security right with babylon especially in cosmos again and that's something we are also very closely following and you know potentially considering to have persistence chain be secured by btc directly you know what so, better than btc in terms of security i think well that that will be interesting to discuss in just a second the um securing persistence chain with btc that's that's interesting and just another thing i just wanted to ask is like do you think that um the the reluctance so you mentioned that two percent of atom is liquid state currently compared to uh other like higher rates of liquid staking in, in other ecosystems such as eth for example um do you think that that reluctance is kind of a hangover from this kind of systemic collapse that we had with terra luna people are a little more scared than they are potentially in other ecosystems because they've seen you know, systemic collapse firsthand, or do you think there's some other things at play? Like, obviously, L- Lido, for example, is like too, super massive, right? Everybody knows Lido, so it's it's uh it's easy to think like you know which protocol you will go to to liquid state your ETH. So I just think it's is it a brand awareness thing? Like, what do you think's uh, responsible for the difference there? Yeah, I think it's more of a uh, from a user's perspective because that's how we like to think as well. I, I think it's a problem of friction, right? So for someone, because we built this infrastructure in a way wherein you know staking is at the forefront, right? Because that's how POS works. You know, staking has been there since forever. You know, people are very much just happy with uh, you know having a ledger account that has uh, a ton of atom that is just staked, and they're happy to leave the rewards passively. You know, claim their airdrops here and there, participate in governance. If not uh, that. Just you know, more of a pass- passive participation in the staking culture uh, in a way, right? Whereas compared to Ethereum, if you see, you know, things were maybe you know ground up wherein staking or liquid staking came first when Lido launched, uh, when you know something like unstaking wasn't even allowed. So I-, I think it's just a friction, and that friction comes from why people stake Atom in the first place, right? I, I think I saw a poll from Cosmos Station was it today? I think it was more than sixty percent again five hundred. People participated in this poll, asking, you know, why do you stake your atom? More than sixty percent said, you know, we just take it for airdrops. And then, if a liquid staking protocol or liquid staking protocols together are not able to give that particular feature to users, uh, you know, it's just friction for someone to use such a complicated, uh, I would say, you know, experience. And the second, I I feel also is that that's a really great point because like uh, having had some involvement with the Cosmos ecosystem in the last cycle. A really big selling point of Atom was that you can get that and you get all the, the app chain airdrops as they come out. And as when the market heats up and there's tons of these launching all the time, that can be like a, actually a substantial amount of revenue that you can generate from airdrops if, you, if you're, doing the, you're hitting the criteria and stuff. And so the fact that I, I, that hadn't even occurred to me actually that um, by liquid staking, you're potentially removing that. And if that's the reason why people are doing it, that's going to create massive friction. That's that's really interesting. So are you are you guys solving for that, or is there other teams that are solving for it? Or yeah, uh, so I think you know, efforts have been uh, more or less, uh, I would say, uh, individual so far. 
you know, we, uh, I think, uh, side and piece to get, come together to put a proposal on Namada to extend their airdrop, airdrop to liquid seeking for, uh, you know, holders of STK Atom as well as ST Atom. Uh, you know, I think similar for Dimension as well. I think, you know, side did a wonderful job with the Dimension team, you know, props to their BD efforts to get ST Atom involved. Uh, and, you know, soon piece also, you know, raised the proposal to have the Dimension airdrop raised to uh, STK Atom holders as well. So I think it's more of, uh, I would say it's twofold, right? It's uh, liquid seeking providers doing the effort needed to get to these teams early on to build the case for liquid staking, which I feel is something that, you know, as liquid staking providers, uh, you know, we should all come together, side to silver, peace stake and the others as well to build the case together. You know, it's going to be, has to be a joint effort to, you know, yeah. grow the pie for liquid staking as we like to call in Cosmos. And the so second, I, uh, I believe is projects should, I think, you know, more actively also consider this because you know, they are able to attract the most powerful DeFi users in Cosmos. You know, we like to say that you access is easy in Cosmos, but if you see liquid staking actually involves you to, you know, go through multiple chains to be able to DeFi as well as, you know, stake. And if projects are, you know, they, they're able to attract these users, they get more free real estate if they adopt to liquid staking tokens, right? And plus, you know, they're able to grow the pie for liquid staking in Cosmos and align better. So I think, you know, projects themselves having uh, you know, that that uh, agenda certain uh, would also be great. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think um, the more projects work together to accomplish goals like that, like that's obviously a significant thing, right? Changing the, the mentality of teams that do airdrops to include liquid staking. That's a, a quite a difficult problem to solve. Um, but I think the more the liquid staking protocols work together, um, you know, that would be a really positive thing. And I think like in because of the changes that the market's going to go through over the next two years as we go into the bull cycle, um, the more teams can think collabor- collaboratively and grow the pie together rather than trying to take their piece of the pie and, and you know, spend it, um, that is that will be much better for everybody. I think, you know, the, the, the whole ecosystem is going to grow massively. And so the more projects can think in those sort of terms, I think that'll be better for everybody and hopefully will result in a better experience for users, right? Because you guys have noticed a significant issue there that you're trying to solve and getting allies on board from other liquid staking protocols just to put down the weapons for five minutes because you guys are competitors and just to say, look, you know, like this is an issue that we need to solve and then solve the issue and then maybe go back to being competitors. But the idea that you guys could cooperate like that would be is a really positive thing. And I think it speaks to the ethos of the space as well. It's just like this, you know, cooperative, decentralized environment that we're in. I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, it's, it's basically collaboration over competition, right? And obviously, we need to have competition. Otherwise, there's no fun here, right? So this is only one leading liquid signal provider doing all this stuff. Uh, you know, it needs competition. And as you rightly mentioned, right, it's the ethos of collaboration over competition. And I, at the end, I feel like, you know, I think Cosmos or even Atom for that matter wins when when Stride wins, when Pixidor wins, and when Pstake wins. So you know it just need it needs to be like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Trev, by the way, I've I've noticed your request. I have authorized it, um, but it keeps reappearing. So I'm not sure what's going on there. You may you may be wrong. Um, okay, so we one of the other things that that um, we just spoke about was real world assets. So this is a trend that I've seen like a lot of people talk about. Um, on multiple spaces now as becoming a pretty significant thing for 2024, um, especially with, for example, you know, the likes of the bigger institutions from TradFi coming in. We know that like real world assets is their thing. So it'd be really interesting to see 
you know, potential collaborations between some of these bigger funds now that the space has been legitimized by the Bitcoin ETF and see kind of how that trickles down. I don't know if anybody's got any thoughts on real-world assets. Can't hear anybody. Am I rugged? No. No. We're all stuck in the digital world, unfortunately. Just no one wants to jump in. <laughs> we don't care about real world. We care about digital world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it's not NFTs, no one cares. Everybody's trading the, the Bitcoin ETF, right? Probably. <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all max leverage right now. I mean, real world assets, I don't know. That I, it's, I don't want to just like uh, give just a summary, but I mean, the stuff you can do with it is very interesting. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not deep on it, but... Uh, for maybe those who don't know, real world assets would be connecting blockchain to uh, whether that's commodities like a pegged gold uh, or, or like a gold stable coin type thing, which I th- actually think is that's incredibly interesting. I think that's going to be a huge thing. Um, real estate. We already have that as Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a lot of things you could do with it. Um, I one cool one was uh, the courtyard guys that were doing the uh, Pokemon cards and other. You could send your trading cards in, and then they send you an NFT, uh, and they have to be like graded, and you know, it's like very high quality and stuff. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, tokenized real estate. I have a buddy that's doing uh, a tokenized real estate project, and. Uh, I think so. The concept is basically imagine if you don't want to buy an entire house and deal with managing a house and property management, there's a, you know, a decentralized way to do it where at first just one company, but over time, many companies will be able to um, buy properties and then package them up either. And, and each property, you can sell a token of that one property, or maybe it's a group of properties and then your tokens own a piece of the overall. Uh, that's a really interesting thing that I think I, I think 100% real estate will be tokenized. I, I think everything's going to be tokenized, but if anyone else has any thoughts on this. I had an interesting thought about the real world asset narrative, and it, it seemed to be at its peak at a time when the yields from real world assets, basically T-bills and bonds, were much higher than anything you can get on blockchain. Um, and it's funny because a lot of the bull narrative around 2020, 2021 was around being able to get higher blockchain yields than real world yields because interest rates were so low in the real world. So people were looking for yield on blockchain, then bringing that back to the real world. And it, the real world asset narrative seemed to happen at a time when blockchain yields were low. So we, we wanted to do the opposite and go into the real world and tokenize T-bills and bring that yield on chain. So, I, I mean, I don't know how well it'll work. As, I don't know how well that will work um, as interest rates in the real world come down, but I'm sure there will still be some asset classes it's relevant for. And obviously, in the future, I see tokenizing everything being uh, a potential solution to not necessarily to um, to yield generation, but as a way of easily trading and accessing global markets for things. So if you can turn wine into an NFT that can then be traded before the wine's delivered to a final consumer, then you solve a lot of issues in liquidity that you'd otherwise have. And that's just one tiny, tiny example of a, a potential class of product. So, Yeah, that's super interesting, man. Specifically the thing about um, the yields. So I, I noticed, I, I can't remember exactly when this was, but I, I noticed that the yield on uh, bonds, on US bonds treasuries was um, lower, was higher, sorry, than the Coinbase USDC rate. Um, yeah, and I thought that was that was super interesting time because you've got essentially a layer on top of you. You've got like a you know 
a riskier version of the USD, which has less yield than actual, you know, cash cash equivalents, right, in bonds. And that's that's like a super crazy thing and shouldn't exist really, because you would think the market would compensate for risk. But I guess the whole the the reason why it didn't compensate for risk in the way that you would expect is because there's a benefit to having USDC because it's liquid in crypto, which is a an opportunity benefit, right? You've got the opportunity of being able to take exposures to potentially riskier but maybe better performing crypto assets with that USDC, which you wouldn't have. That was how I rationalized it at the time anyway. But, yeah. but also that, that kind of yield, if you take out a one-year bond, you don't have access to your US dollars for that year. Whereas if you can get like 4% on USDC, you can probably then withdraw instantly and do something with it. So you're kind of you're trading off yield for utility, which is like probably a fairish trade. Yeah, definitely, especially in this space where everything moves really fast. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it also highlights how beneficial, like why do USDC, why why do Tether probably do well? Because they they have this huge treasury; they don't have to actually make any dollar gains on, but so everything they gain on it is profit. All they have to do is have enough to be able to pay back people who withdraw Tether, withdraw USDC. So uh, these guys can, uh, they could put every single US dollar you give USDC or Circle into bonds, make 5% on it. And as long as they have enough to, like, to ensure that uh, withdrawals are liquid, then, then it's pure profit for them. I mean, there's I mean, also speculation, that, not, not insider advice. This also just highlights that a lot of these things we think are, are when we think about real world assets, bringing those on chain, like, most people don't ever interact with the redemption mechanism uh, that would that would be needed for these real world assets unless they're just like purely synthetic. Um, but, you know, when you consider a, a normal person wouldn't be able to really redeem their USDC for USD, same with Tether, um, you know, being able to do that for gold or for oil or any other commodities that you might want to bring on chain, like becomes a somewhat difficult problem to solve even if it is centralized and then you try and make more. i think it's it's actually pretty easy to solve all you need is enough people with the ability to do it and arbitrage sorts it out like if you said that i could all of a sudden redeem paxos um like pax g the gold stablecoin for real gold if it diverged by much on chain i'd be doing all i could to like to sort that price discrepancy out um and if you if you apply that to an institutional grade uh, trader, then I'm pretty sure that the arbitrage is there and they would make money on it. And if they didn't, someone else would come along and make more money from it. Oh, yeah. So I think, that I think if there's possible. real world asset redemptions, it, it tends to get pegged. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, there are definitely going to be institutional uh, entities that would be doing most of this redemption and like maintaining the peg, so to speak. Um, but your average everyday user who might want to be using it um, would not really. I mean, m- maybe one of the things that some of these uh, more centralized redemption, um, like ways of redemption, can be made more accessible to the general public. Um, but from does it need to be? Uh, not really. So if you if you can if you can guarantee the token would be worth like a USDC is worth one dollar, and actually to be fair, Coinbase. If you have a Coinbase account, you can redeem USDC for one dollar, and they don't charge any fees on it. So, for most I average guess, users, probably that's the way to do it. Out, that is—it's so incredible. You can cash out USDC for zero fee. Yeah. To your bank account, 
I mean, that's incredible. It used to be, so it's better now because it used to be through USDC, but you could only do it with business accounts. You, you've been so, able to do it with Coinbase since at least 2019, I think. Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't know this. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not US-based. I'm in the UK and they don't exactly advertise it. You, you have to just have USDC in your account, then try and take it out and then they, you don't get charged any fees. It's not I, a... I think I've been using crypto.com uh, for for since 2019 or so. And uh, they at first it, I would check and there was like very low fees or almost, they say it's no fees on crypto.com, but it's not true because they they apply this like arbitrary slippage, which is not slippage. I know for damn sure. And I've complained to them and I've uh, yeah, it's it's they're kind of scammy, to be honest. But um, it, it ends up costing like three percent. Of every transaction whoa unreal. it's unreal and it's hidden it's they don't well, they don't not exactly the same as when you go to uh no fee foreign exchange like if you get in cash to go to another country and it says no fee like you are paying a fee like regardless no they're not doing that they're not like stood there at the desk all day it's, paying labor costs that, for free, that's right? a tax on people that don't know about forex rates basically yeah. all those businesses and it can be it can be much worse than a fee right if you pay if you pay a two percent advertised fee or a one percent advertised fee, and you, you know that going in, that's one thing. But if they just manipulate, like manipulate the exchange rate, so it's way out of whack to compare to what it's actually trading at. Like this, and that happens all the time. And they usually put those places in like airports, so nobody's yeah. going to be. And there's always a massive spread as well. You're not just getting like you're just getting their dodgy rate. There's a spread over even what the dodgy rate would be. Yeah, for sure. I like I've I've uh, fell victim of that once in the past when I, I uh, landed somewhere and I, I needed cash and I, I thought never again. I'm always gonna like figure figure this out properly. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting the way that they they use rates like that. And I think that's the lesson for everybody on this space is just sometimes um like when you see deals like that, like no fee or low fee you really need to look into this because they're not doing this for the good of their health, right? This is a business. And so you, you're the product essentially. So you've and, got to figure out how you're being played. And the obligatory blockchain relevant comment to all of this is that blockchain solves this to a degree because you can see exactly the rate that's being used to calculate like swaps if you want or borrows, withdrawals. All of that is transparent and recorded and people can look at it and see that, see that that's not happening. And if they're being slightly screwed by a, a rate being applied to it, they can see exactly what that is. It's not some kind of um, scammy activity. I think a, another thing that's worth mentioning here as well is the, the fact that USDC is always redeemable for $1 on Coinbase, where it's primarily used, is interesting because what they're saying is if there's a de-pegging event, de-risking, you know, de-pegging event, that Coinbase will take the hit on I, that. I don't, I don't know if they would. Well, no, I don't think they said so that. If, if it's they didn't say that, but this is what I'm reading into it, right? If if you can always redeem for one dollar, and it goes to ninety four cents on DeFi because that's what you know. Because for example, you know mm -hmm. the, uh, the bank where it was storing some of its assets is is uh, been compromised, like what happened last year. Um, that if you can still redeem for one dollar, I don't know because I didn't try during that time. I'm not a US citizen, but if you if you did redeem for one dollar during that time, then that's kind of what's being said, right? Well, it makes sense because they, I mean, like, think about it. it you, now, you may not be able to redeem in that moment if there's a bank run, right? Because there, I think, so I, I don't remember what the makeup is. Maybe someone here knows exactly, but it's it's something like 80%, um, I want to say, like, short or medium-dated treasuries, and then 
twenty percent uh like cash and like you know very uh, like t bills i think short very short dated something like that but the point is it's all there in treasury bonds which the only reason that that could those could be worth less than they actually were purchased for would be if rates went up like they have over the last years and if you were forced to sell them at a discount so Unless everybody started trying to, you know, withdraw their USDC, they might just have to say, "Look, we're we can't, we're not going to sell these treasuries. We'll ha- we'll have to slow, we'll have to slow the withdrawals, or they would just get investment from somewhere else or from some other maybe maybe Circle or um, uh, Coinbase would just like uh, um, give liquidity so that this would the, to stop the bank run. But the the fact is that the assets are there." Now that there are nuances and that doesn't always protect you. We saw what happened with, that's exactly what happened with uh, either Silicon Valley Bank or uh, Silvergate. One of those was that exact thing, or maybe both of them were that exact thing, right? But yeah, yeah, like you yeah, said, yeah, you yeah. can cash yeah. it for one for one. Yeah, you would think uh, it kind of is a guarantee and could people, like what happened What happened when uh, the USDC depegged last time? I mean, we should have a case study here. I think they stopped, I think they said no, right? I think they stopped people from, withdrawing at that moment i think there's a difference but between no no right now and no if if it depegs you have to have people be allowed to withdraw otherwise it will keep on depegging because yeah. if it depegs you want people to be buying at 80 cents and withdrawing one dollar yeah otherwise yes. the peg doesn't happen the peg doesn't happen again if you depeg and if you're based on people being able to do real world arbitrage like taking dollars out um, and buying on chain then it, it's broken for more or less forever yeah, that's part of the the stable mechanism. Yeah, exactly. So on the note of real world assets, then, uh, Rock, I don't know if you want to talk about V2 perps at all. Can we discuss or no? Um, I don't think so. Not not yet. Okay. Sorry, guys. Next time. Spill it. <laughs> Spill it, Rock. I know, I know you love spilling alpha. Spill oh, all it. right. All right. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I don't know that it's time to, okay, so quick swap and someone's building something that might be effective in the near future. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You don't have to rock, but yeah. Yeah. Spill it. So I'm just kidding. So both quick swap and kinetics are, are both working on their, uh, their V2. Uh, perps, which is going to be really innovative, very interesting, takes a lot of the best features of different uh, perps products in the industry uh, and tries to give a, a more uh, centralized experience like Binance, but with decentralized everything else. So, yeah, no, it's not time to talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a pushover, I guess. Appreciate you, Rock. I'm, I'm sure that, that was I'm sure easy. I'm going to get some uh, difficult DMs now, guys. So it's, it's like when Cindy asked for something. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't think we need that right now. And she's like, sorry, Jack. I'm like, okay. Okay. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm taking a hit for everybody there. So please. Yeah, for, maybe for those who don't know, I, I'm uh, an advisor of Kinetics. That's why I would uh know these things yeah and kinetics there is like a a a nice kind of um uh relationship between quickswap and kinetics so you can actually access kinetics through the quickswap website so kinetics gave the quickswap community one percent of its supply um 
and then uh, the Kinetics uh, interface is accessible under the drop-down menu on the QuickSwap website. So it's kind of like, you know, I've always said, um, like, I've always been a huge fan of Cosmos, even though I spend most of my time in Polygon uh, ecosystem these days. I've always been a huge fan of Cosmos uh, and always finding ways to try to contribute to the Cosmos. Um, and so uh, having an access point to Cosmos through Polygon and QuickSwap, I think is really cool. It was actually Sandeep, uh, the founder of uh, Polygon, who introduced uh, LDA and myself to co different Cosmos projects early on, like Tashar from Persistence, et cetera. Um, you know, that was like five years ago. So I, you know, the, if, if you're, if you're in the, the Cosmos builder community, you'll, you'll probably notice at a lot of conferences, you'll see a lot of Polygon people. And at Polygon conferences, you'll see a lot of Cosmos people, uh, especially the Indians, the Indian builders kind of, uh, you know, they're all kind of allies. Um, so yeah, that's kind of little, little bit of the, the backstory there. Now, now my, my thing that I'm pushing for with Cosmos is to try to make Cosmos, to try to get someone to build a layer two of, of, uh, of Ethereum that's IBC enabled. So IBC meets Ethereum because I think then you can have a massive flow between, we need to unlock the flow between Ethereum, which holds 90% of all liquidity in the ecosystem uh, in smart contracts. And then, uh, and then Cosmos, we need to have that be free flow without trusted third party, you know, trusted or untrusted third party bridges. We need, we need free flow trustlessly. And I think the coolest way to do that, the most obvious way in my eyes, and what I'm trying to push different teams to do is uh, to become, to make an IBC enabled uh, layer two of Ethereum. Cause then you'd have full flow between all Ethereum and L2s and then all Cosmos IBC chains. Hey, hey. Um, so on the note of Cosmos related stuff, um, let's kind of segue into proposal 868. I don't know who is read up on this on the call, um, but just to outline it. Um, so they, the proposal is live now and it's to decre decrease um, the inflation minimum parameter to 0%. So um, currently, um, I believe... The inflation parameters range from seven to ten percent, um, so it would have a significant effect there. Um, and in terms of how the votes go in, just on uh, Leap Wallet right now, um, looks like uh, fifty-four percent yes, five percent no, uh, one percent no veto, and four percent abstain, roughly. But it's only got ten percent turnout, so it's got a. Um, I don't think it's met quorum yet. Um, so. It's just an interesting proposal, right? Like we see a lot of this, like, you know, inflation is a contentious thing in this industry because obviously if you buy a token, you want there to be a restricted supply after you buy, but also inflation is really useful for doing stuff like rewarding uh, behavior that you want rewarded to incentivize people to do the right things for the long term of the token. Um, and also just in general to ensure like smooth functioning of an ecosystem, inflation is sometimes necessary. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if anybody's got any thoughts on that on the call. A lot of uh, Cosmos people here. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just like, sometimes it's just playing with numbers, right? I totally understand the idea that what we're talking about is, is value and essentially, you know, inflation is dilution to an extent, right? It's diluting value, but it's saying, hey, no matter what happens, we're going to try to incentivize the validators, right? Because that's kind of our core infrastructure. So then the key is, okay, are there other ways that we can incentivize validators that don't simply dilute supply, right? And we've got things like, you know, um, 
security, right? The Atom's providing that allows them to take fees on other chains and things like that. So, you know, I think this is cool. I think inflation could become less of a mechanism uh, for rewarding the infrastructure that supports Cosmos and things like that. Uh, on the passage side, that's a huge part of kind of what we're targeting because, you know, we want to hit a traditional SaaS model with the application, right? We, we started out as a, you know, uh, uh, a service building for big brands and we're trying to bring that to consumers. But it's like, you have to have real value. You've got to have something people want to buy. And inflation is always just kind of a, a temporary measure, right? Uh, so I think this is the right direction. Is it the right timing? Like, is this the, the right order of operations? I don't know. Other people can speak into that, but I, I understand the incentive for sure. Yeah, I think uh, you, I think you, you hit a great point there. Like at some point, um, the economics of the model has to stand on its own two feet. Inflation obviously is is super important in the early days. Like you hear a lot of people talk about bootstrapping and why that's super important for gaining users and incentivizing behaviors. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting to see like the end game for all DeFi applications is no inflation ideally and um and then you know uh things like transaction fees and stuff fully sustaining the model um i think you know just an, an interesting kind of comment on this is like how things have gone recently with the proof of work coins so obviously you know transaction fees being a massive part of it but then as you saw um aside from the you know the the block reward dropping off with bitcoin uh, as it as it always does and we're going to get another one shortly um I think it's interesting that the the demand from things like ordinals um, kind of massively made up for that, and it's not just like price increase of Bitcoin itself, but um, like the the fees being generated at the moment are some of the highest that they've ever been, and you can see the hash rate is responding to that as well. The hash rate's the highest that it's ever been, so it's like it's it's really interesting to kind of see those two things playing out, and that's a a case that. I guess a lot of people didn't really see coming. Like I, I definitely didn't anyway. That the ordinals will become such a massive thing, um, and it, you know, it all paying for that block space really helps support the miners. And the, the, I guess the question is, to what extent? And like, look, I'm generally an in, in an inflation uh, unmaximalist. I, I I hate how fiat has inflation more because it's arbitrary. It's like they can right. just make it whatever they want and change it whenever they want. But I mean, if you look at like something like Bitcoin, it's going to have inflation for another 100 and I think 15 years or so. Um, and then, but slowly over time, you replace that with transaction fees. And so what, what is Adam uh, replace its inflation with? What, what all are the options? I, I think one option, I don't know if we, we said here is like, you know, the airdrops. If Adam can encourage more projects to do airdrops, that could totally take the place of, of the inflation and that makes the whole ecosystem stronger. Yeah, uh, maybe I can share some thoughts there. Uh, I, you know, obviously, liquid staking is one of the key things that you know would support a lower inflation because it allows uh, you know the staking rewards uh, and then you know also built-in or other jacked up DeFi yields on top of that. Uh, but uh, I think you know maybe. If you take a step back, uh, you know, Atom can't just be a staking, taking a, a token anymore, especially with, you know, the eyeballs that Celestia has brought in with a lot of, you know, Cosmos projects gaining on in terms of market cap or FDV towards Atom. Uh, you know, it might just lose its charm with what's happening currently. So I think, you know, it's in the best interest of the hub or Atom itself to diversify its offering in a way. So, you know, whether that's Atom as security, 
whether that's atom as liquidity you know we had proposal 853 which actually you know provided uh, hub owned liquidity to pstake on texer and astropod on neutron uh, you know and that gives to show that you know uh, atom is a very much a token that is in demand and if it's just state if a large chunk of it is just state and rather illiquid uh, it's not going to be any benefit to the ecosystem so i think you know it should be it should be looked at as a traditional business in a way that has these various services that it offers one of them is staking one of them is airdrops one of them is liquid staking one of them is liquidity uh, which you know comes together as a whole package that you know in a way just uh, replaces inflation over time yeah it's interesting i think um, it would be good to hear red eyes thoughts on this i don't know if you have an opinion on this proposal while he's uh, queuing up there. Um, yeah, I guess my question is like, what are the pros and what are the, the cons of this? If you give no in, you know, inflation, do people want to stake it? You know? um, so to, to clarify, it's that, yeah, it's, so the, the, this is just to, to just summarize the vote just for anybody that's just tuned in. So the proposal is to decrease the inflation minimum parameter to zero. Um, and uh yeah that's it's as simple as that to be honest i just read the chat gpt summary underneath oh thought it was going to be slightly more complex um but yeah so um yeah pretty straightforward i guess like it's it's also interesting to think about the different incentives here so if you if you're a token holder that doesn't really this is going to come off uh, a little bit negative so i don't want to i don't want people to read into this too much but like if you um if you're not really actively participating in the space in general, um, but you're a token holder, um, you might not care that much how the uh, inflation is a positive thing. You might just see the fact that it's diluting your thing that you've bought, that you've spent spent your capital on. And so you would kind of instinctively vote yes on this to reduce um reduce inflation as much as possible but i think maybe um and i'd love to dive into the the discussion um thread that always accompanies these votes to kind of figure out like how much people are kind of taking both sides of this rather than just jump into the first thing which is inflation is bad i i own an asset so i don't want there to be any more of that asset rather than looking at the kind of the nuances being like what is like to what extent is that inflation necessary right now you know obviously Atom's been around a long time, right? It's not like they're bootstrapping for new, the, a new ecosystem that's been around six months. But at the same time, you know, some inflation is useful. I mean, I think that the timing is a little interesting to me because if you wanted to lower inflation, you know, maybe a good time to do that would have been in, in the bear market. Going into bull markets, inflation becomes in some ways less relevant. Because everything just runs, everybody's buying everything, and they're less concerned with these like these kind of tokenomics things. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't have a strong opinion one way or another on it, but I think it is interesting that. Hey, if Jack. I've just, getting just off rise. Oh, hey, Jack. So I was, I was just going to say, just off rise, Jack Zamplin. Just wanted to like introduce him to the space. Hey, guys. Hey. Um, hey, Jack. Hey, how's it going? Good uh, to have you. Good. Thanks. Hey, Rock, you, the reason I requested to speak is, is you said something that, that I just wanted to clarify. You, you asked, um, if it's zero inflation, won't users just unstake? And what's important to recognize about the Cosmos inflation model is it's a dynamic, not a static inflation. So this sets the minimum inflation. 
once users unstake, once the staking ratio, i.e. the ratio of all atoms, the ratio of staked atoms to the ratio of all atoms um, goes below 66%, then that inflation starts going up again. So there's a built-in mechanism to encourage people to stake by increasing inflation. This just means if there's enough staking demand, then we don't need to pay stakers. And I think that that is a much more long-term sustainable path for Adam. Your note around market timing, I think, is good. But again, there's that, that sort of like built-in reflexivity in the mechanism where if demand for staking goes down, inflation goes up to compensate people to stake more. So I, I think that this proposal in the long run is like, hugely value accretive to Adam, it inputs the asset in the right place, and the built-in mechanisms within the chain should do a lot to, to help encourage that. Yeah, I imagine this would be something that a lot of institutions would be happy to see and probably bring more institutional, uh, because institutions don't, I, from me talking to a, a lot of VCs, and that's one of the things they do care about is big time, is what what is the inflation? And so, Having no inflation, I can definitely see institutions, VCs, et cetera, that were looking, you know, funds that were looking at holding Adam and seeing this as a, probably a benefit. So this, like, I do want to just clarify, this does not mean Adam will have no inflation. This means that if the staking rate is above two thirds, inflation will trend to zero. Well, not only that, there's other ways that we can incentivize stakers apart from inflation, right? So, yes, you know, that's obviously the big picture model for inflation and for rewarding, you know, the infrastructure for the chain. Yeah. And I think that the idea here, and this goes back to the Adam 2 out of white paper, which is sort of launched Polygon 2 and a, a number of improvements in other ecosystems during the bear market, but not Adam. Um, as liquid staking becomes more and more prominent, we expect the, the staking ratio to be high and stay high. And we don't need to pay for that because those stakers are going to get their liquid staking derivatives and then they're going to go and, and get into DeFi and they're going to get their yield from atoms there rather than getting it directly from the atom chain. Um, and the other piece here is also we'll see chains like Neutron and Stride and the other interchain secured chains start producing more revenues for Atom. And speaking of liquid staking, Stride is where all that liquid staking is based. So those revenues from liquid staking flow directly to Atom holders. So this just is looking forward to a world where the yield that gets paid to Atom holders does not come from inflation anymore. And Rock, to your point about institutional investors, it's hugely bullish for those folks for Adam as an asset because this has been one of the biggest issues. Also, shout out Lex, what up? I know. Yo. I, uh, I know that I've heard the Kinetics team um, talking about using uh, like liquid staking Adam in the Perpetuals product um i'll ping i'll check with them and see what they're if they have any plans there but uh i mean as an advisor of kinetics i would love to push them and in, into supporting adam in as, as uh in as many ways as we can and maybe even uh i know kinetics is doing their launch i, I think in like a month um and that would be really cool to see them airdrop to adam holders uh, and i know I've, they've been discussing this a lot so this might be a good time to do that uh to try to support 
the Atom token as it trends, you know, like you said. So not going to zero inflation, but if staking is high, going to zero. And I didn't know that. I hadn't read the article in full. I actually just saw CryptoCito posting it. Uh, and I was in the middle of a bunch of st- chaos, so I didn't get to read the whole thing. But that's that's great to know. Yeah, and Rock, thanks for shedding light. You know, the reason that's the reason I jumped in here. These systems are really complex; they're non-obvious, and I think that a lot of governance happens where people are taking small glimpses at things, and they're like, "Oh, we can't just have zero inflation." And you know, as a sort of like being in the trenches of governance for a lot of these things, like this is how it works. There's a lot of education that needs to happen and people need to go out and advocate for these different things. And I I think, you know, there's the situation on Adam right now is there's a lot of larger holders and validators who are wanting to milk this inflation and milk the value that's coming out of this chain. And it's not being reinvested in the Adam ecosystem the right way. And what this proposal does is turns off that fire hose disincentivizes that kind of behavior and incentivizes atom holders to figure out better how to utilize their resources in order to grow the pie for atom and that like again going back to that atom 2.0 that was why we put out atom 2.0 and after it was it went down in the on-chain vote like all of those pieces are sort of being implemented separately and this is a attempt to implement some of the economic model of Adam 2.0 via governance proposals. And I, I think it's broadly positive for Adam asset. So yeah, just wanted to come in and speak up for that. Nice. I know CryptoCito, we were hoping he was going to be able to join to like deep dive into it and explain to us uh, kind of some of us, you know, uh, laymen's or dummies, <laughs> you know, the full extent uh, and all the implications of this. But I, I think he uh, he wasn't able to make it because it's like 2 a.m. in Dubai right now. You know, it's, but, instead uh, of Cito, yeah, you get Jack. Really, so, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll ping him and you and and both uh, and try to figure out maybe, uh, and, and I'm glad to help push uh, the Kinetics team to do whatever they can to to support Adam, whether that's using, uh, you know, some of these uh, these LSDs in, uh, in the Perps product as collateral or supporting trading on these. Uh, as well as possibly airdropping uh, some of the initial supply of the the kinetics uh, token to uh, to atom holders. Yeah, you know, I, I think that kinetics. It, I, this is the first time hearing of the project. Uh, it looks like a perps exchange on Kava. That's fantastic. The Cosmos stack is is really having an explosion of different perps protocols right now because it is the perfect place to build perps. Um, I think that. Broadly, the IBC ecosystem is a huge opportunity for protocols like Kinetics and Kinetics itself, because it is this built-in user base, and it allows you to go reach out and bring in new communities in a new way. And I think that with the work that we've done on IBC over the last year to two years, what we've done is re-enable composability in a way where the IBC ecosystem now feels a lot more like Ethereum felt back in 2018, 2019, when DeFi was just starting, uh, and you could move seamlessly between different protocols. The user experience is now to the point in IBC where it almost feels like you're just using one chain as opposed to 20 or 30. And in that world, the DeFi protocols that we saw be successful, the yams and the, you know, the, the food coins of DeFi summer, those were all doing these different partnerships with all these different communities and knitting together as many communities as possible. So 
the opportunity for Kinetics is to reach out broadly into the IBC ecosystem and to see how many different partnerships they can build, um, especially at the beginning of a bear market. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier, I don't know if you were listening or not, but we were talking earlier about how Cosmos is now going to become kind of entangled and embedded into different uh, Ethereum uh, parts, parts of the Ethereum stack because now in Ethereum, everything's moving to these L2s. And now you have Celestia, which is basically, as far as I know, the best data availability uh, you know, service and, and stack. And I already some Polygon uh, uh, chains, some Polygon CDK chains are announcing that I think maybe either OKX or Manta, uh, some of these are announcing uh, that they're going to be using Celestia for data availability and it, within like Validiums and things. So crazy to see now Cosmos stack is going to be providing infrastructure for Ethereum stack. Yeah, you know, I think that this is this has always been my thesis on Cosmos. The the initial build out of the infrastructure in the internet, there was a lot of like marketing around it and people were stoked and everyone wanted to talk about routers and all of those things, but end users don't give a fuck about that stuff. And 99% of the adoption that happened in the internet happened because of the end applications. And we're very much in this infrastructure phase of the build out of this new ecosystem that we're all sort of working on different bits and pieces of. And that infrastructure is going to fade into the background. I think that the big mistake of a lot of ecosystems has been to foreground the infrastructure too much and do that in a way that ends up impacting end user experiences. And what we've always done in Cosmos is try to make the infrastructure fade into the background and be background in the end user experiences where the end user experiences are actually supposed to be done by the applications and they're supposed to be as seamless as possible. And I think that what you're seeing now is that actually happening in reality. And, and it's things like skip.money's ibc.fun API that we're now seeing embedded in many different front ends that enable these cross-chain swaps and these very complex user experiences that all happen with a single transaction. And it's not going to matter who the infrastructure is on to those end users. It's just going to matter that there is infrastructure. And I think that what we're seeing at the beginning of this cycle for infrastructure investors is that the Cosmos infrastructure is the best out there. It's the most broadly and easily usable. And it's the most interoperable with the most things. And that's why it's going to win. And, you know, I think it's what I'm excited about this cycle. You talked about obfuscating a lot of these infrastructure pieces in the background so the users don't know about it, which I 100% agree is, is an absolute necessity. Um, I was on a call recently with, I think it was Cosmos, Haas, and uh, DeFi Joe, and Trev here from Dora Hacks. That's I'm speaking now. And we were talking about, like, account abstraction. And I have... You know, I'm not a I'm not a dev myself. Uh, you know, I, I co-founded QuickSwap and and some other you know projects where we have great builders, but I'm not a dev, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. And they were kind of gigabraining me on how account abstraction can really fade away all of this. Like, you won't need to know necessarily which uh, you know which Cosmos chain you're on uh, or where your balances are. Uh, it'll just do all that kind of in the background for you. What are your? I, I hope I'm even explaining it right. I think. 
think I'm getting part of it, right? Yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts on account abstraction, how that can be used to make the Cosmos experience and just general DeFi experience better? Yeah, you know, we've already built in all of the pieces of account abstraction, the way they talk about it on Ethereum, into the native Cosmos account experience. And I think that what we've seen over the last year is they've been kind of rolled out unevenly throughout the ecosystem. So the tooling is still catching up right now. But for example, we're a validator and we run relayers. Um, the validator has a single account where all of the commissions go into. And in order to utilize those commissions, you need to send a transaction to claim them. And then you're likely on a chain without a decentralized exchange. You would need to move it to a DEX in order to do anything with it. If you want to sell it or, you know, do other things besides stake it. And, you know, we're, I'm a U.S. company. So we want to, what we want to do is we want to stake part of it, sell part of it. And then in order to like put it away for taxes and then earn yield on the, the piece that we're putting away for taxes, either through, through any number of things, you know, through something like Quasar. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And, you know, that's a ton of mo the only reason I hold stables is to because I know I'm going to owe taxes. Exactly. And that's the only reason I sell anything I receive. Only if I receive income, exactly. you have to sell some for taxes because if you don't, then and the asset goes down, the capital losses don't cancel the income and you're stuck owing like in Bingo. 2021 on some things I owed 300% on what I made that year brutal. because of that. I think anyone who's been here for more than one cycle has like had their own version of this. But the reality of it is that's the same thing happened in 2017, basically, because yeah. both bull runs ended in December yep. when the tax year ended. It was rough. So you were screwed in the next It was year. real rough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk about it. Thank God. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, what I just described, there is a lot of different transactions, four or five. And you want to do this every day ideally. And in order to do that, it's a lot of work. You know, you'd be, if you're managing 10 to 15 validators, which is a small validator business, you'd be sitting there clicking buttons literally all day, every day. So what do you need to do? You need to <laughs> authorize some bot account to be able to have the permissions to do all of this for you and to help manage that. And this is what account abstraction enables. You can build a system, and we've built this at Strangelove, where it goes and swaps out X percentage of those assets, stakes the rest of them, puts it into an account that we then use, you know, uh, the Calc.Finance to help us manage, uh, manage those stables. And like, these are the types of things that account abstraction enables. This is what you really want as an end user too. And I, I think that, again, in the foregrounding the infrastructure thing, like Ethereum has spent a lot of time foregrounding the infrastructure. Like the reason why account abstraction is a meme is because they spent so much time like saying account abstraction over and over again. But if you're just, if you just say, oh yeah, I want my account to be able to do automated things on my behalf, that seems obvious in retrospect. And, you know, things like rekeying and, and other, you know, niceties that you would get out of a bank account, like you want all of that and more in crypto. And that's what account abstraction enables, and it's natively built into the Cosmos stack in a way that no other ecosystem has. And you can you can put parameters on this, right? You don't want a bot that could just do anything on your on your wallet address, exactly, right? But you can say no. You can only tr this. You can give it specific like permissions, like uh, you can only 
make a trade with this currency and it can only go back into my wallet and not go to another wallet, yep. et cetera. Yep. Yeah. And like, you know, for that bot we're talking about, it needs to be able to withdraw the validator rewards. It needs to be able to stake and it needs to be able to IBC send out very small amounts. And you can actually calculate based on the amount of stake that's on your validator, like how much income you're getting and limit the exposure that you would have to a, uh, like if the bot key got uh, compromised, you know, your exposure is limited to a very small amount every day. And like, this is what account abstraction enables. Very strong security, extremely high ability to do automation and the ability to like really get strong capital efficiency out of your assets. And, you know, this is one of those things where the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. And I, I think what we're going to see over the next three to six months is that get a lot more evenly distributed. And once it's more evenly distributed, the tooling that's available to end users like you guys, you know, I have a whole team of devs. Like we built a bunch of custom infrastructure to do this. We'll probably go sell it to people. But, you know, that process takes a little bit of time and, you know, we'll, we'll see that roll out over the next few months. So what does this mean for, and, and uh, I, I hope you have a little bit longer. I have I a do. few more questions for you. I'm sure I, we should let the, uh, the audience and other speakers uh, jump in here too, because it's, it's great to have you. It's a privilege to have your, your brain here to pick. But um, okay, I've been wondering this for a long time. Uh, this is something that I think is really important, and I'm still unsure of the entire Cosmos community's direction in this and what the roadmap and how we'll be able to accomplish this is. But uh, composability. So we have interoperability and we have this great, you know, IBC, you know, where we can move things trustlessly, uh, which like you beat everyone to the punch on, right? Like even like Polygon, you know, Sandeep, I was on a Twitter spaces with him uh, the other day and he said live in front of everyone that, you know, Polygon CDK and it's, it's LXLY bridge uh, and the trustlessness behind that and how now all L2s and rollups are going to be doing this, like, you know, Optimism, Arbitrum, et cetera. Everyone is doing this now. It was uh, like, for Polygon, at least some of the inspiration came from Cosmos. And I said earlier how, you know, it was Sandeep from Polygon who introduced us to like Tushar, Persistence at Cosmos and some others. But uh, yeah, so com but the problem now is composability. Uh, how can we solve that? What is the roadmap for that? Is it possible? I, I know that I've heard people talking about things, but I don't know how much meat there is on any of these things. And like, like and for the audience, maybe who doesn't, so I could maybe simplify this question. It's okay, if I build, you know, say kinetics or, or osmosis on one chain, right? And now I want to build an auto compounder like Beefy or an ALM, an automated liquidity manager, or, you know, X, or XYZ, uh, or like Abracadabra, which can leverage, you know, GMX yields, or all these things that you want to build on top of these Lego pieces, um, you have to build them on the same chain currently. But that's not with, true. If you want crossing composability, go ahead. That's not yeah, true. Yeah, let, let me know. Yeah, so IBC like natively has built in this composability. So let's just like talk about it real quick. All of the other bridges roughly throughout other ecosystems are built just to move tokens. There are these simple multi-sigs generally that sort of move tokens back and forth. There are more advanced bridges coming out that do full data. You see things like Axelar's GMP, but what IBC did is it jumped way ahead of all of this. There's a full call and response protocol that looks just like the internet where you send a request and then you get a response back from the other side. And that response contains rich data that you can use to do error handling and all kinds of other things. 
And that request that you send out can be arbitrary data. You can even have two smart contracts on different chains speaking a protocol that they design all over IBC, all natively with the existing relayer infrastructure and the existing IBC infrastructure. So IBC is built from the ground up to be natively composable. And you see that in things. So why yeah. I don't see, I, I, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Because I, it feels like the chains are where people are building stuff on top of stuff. It, it feels relatively siloed, but maybe I'm just not seeing it, I guess. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, so go check out like ibc.fun, for example. And that allows you to pick any token on any chain and you say, I want to output to this token on this other chain. And what it does is in flight, while those packet, while those tokens are traveling between the chains, goes to a decentralized exchange, trades those on your behalf, and it doesn't do this in a custodial manner. You sign one signature on the way on to send your outgoing packet, and that signature encodes your intent for your swap, as well as where to send the, the results of that swap. So this is a way where today IBC enables composability out of the box. There's other, like, there's a, this realm of application composability is extremely rich. There's a lot of different modalities to it. But this one where you're using that IBC packet is essentially a bearer token. And you as a user say, I'm going to send these assets out. We're going to lock them up over here. And here's what I want to do on these three chains. You can encode that in IBC right now. Another thing you can do in IBC right now is as a user, you can say, I want to have an account on this other chain and I want to control it from, say, Kappa. And that's called interchain accounts. This is how uh, Stride, which is the liquid staking provider in Cosmos works. They have liquid staking accounts on these different, uh, sorry, they have uh, interchain accounts that go from Stride to all of the chains where they uh, do the liquid staking. And, and that's how they stake two validators on those chains. So IBC out of the box has many different forms of composability and they're live today. Do you think that tooling no. over time, is it a matter of, cause like, um, like I'm trying to think, are there any like auto compounders or, or ALMs built on a V3 that are on a separate chain? Or is there even a reason to? Maybe there's not necessarily a reason to yet. I think that the answer, that, the answer that to all much. of those questions is yes. And if you look at auto compounders, look at stuff like calc.finance that helps you do that. This account abstraction stuff that we were talking about helps you do auto compounding. There's things like Quasar, which is a multi-chain vault solution where you deposit assets on the Quasar chain and then they move them out over IBC and put them into different strategies and give you returns on those assets. Um, and all of- Oh, those that sounds very interesting. Quasar. That, that's, we're building some kind of similar stuff. That's very interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll look into that. Quasar is fucking dope. Um, yeah, love Val, love the team there. I'm in the seed, we work closely with them. Um, yeah, it's, you know, this is what we've been working on for the last few years. And it's why Cosmos is seeing the type of traction that we're seeing now is because we have enabled this deep composability and it has the beginnings of an explosion in the ecosystem. And if you see, you know, Noble USDC, look at the growth there. It's just up only, very steady, continuing to build steam. 
And going into this bull market, that's exactly what you want to see out of an ecosystem. It's why so many eyes are on Cosmos right now. Yeah, and USDT as well. I think there's at least 200 or maybe 300 million of USDT now in the Cosmos through natively issued on Kava and then bridged out to you know Osmosis and everywhere else. Yeah, it's great. You know, and this is like this is how we win. Cool, man. I, okay, I'll look into the. I'm gonna have to. This is one of those uh, episodes where I'll have to go back and listen to the recording and, and deep dive into these things. But uh, yeah, I have one more question, and that's. What is your opinion? Because I'm hearing more and more people in the cosmos like being more open minded and even embracing this, maybe, which is how can we get better trustless bridging and and uh, and composability and interoperability solutions between cosmos and Ethereum? And one of the ways that I, I think this could be solved is by having IBC enabled L2s of Ethereum so that they can interop, you know, be interoperable with all L2s of Ethereum plus Ethereum, you know, the base chain. And then all IBC chains, but I'm curious what other ways you see this happening, or if you think that's a good idea. I would say yes, and so if you're interested in IBC enabled L2s, there's a startup called Polymer um, that's building specifically that. If you're interested in enabling IBC directly to the Ethereum mainnet, um, Union Finance is doing that, and, and through that IBC connection directly to Ethereum mainnet, they will also enable to L2s. There's a number of different technical approaches that are being- And that's, is that trustless? Yes. Or, or what, on the scale of, on the spectrum of trustlessness, how do you see that? Yeah, so I mean- Like zero to a hundred, I guess, of trustlessness. Yeah, so, you know, all of those are Tendermint-like client, ZK proofs, like about as good as you can make it today, given the existing constraints of Ethereum mainnet. Interesting, yeah. One of the ways we were we were internally looking at like how we could get some different, maybe we're trying to see what teams may be interested in doing this, but we were looking at, so Polygon CDK, uh, their Maiden uh, portion, which is uh, is um, is uh, built for people uh, using, I guess, Rust. And I think, I don't know the whole technical reasons, but a bunch of our devs are saying, yeah, this Maiden implementation of Polygon CDK, which is their chain developer kit where you could build layer twos of Ethereum modularly. You know, you can use like Maiden plus Celestia or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and they're saying this would be a very interesting one to build an IBC enabled L2. So uh, just, yeah, I'm trying to put this energy out into the world and hope that people build these things. Because I think if we can have more ways and, and trusted ways where not trusted, but trustless ways uh, that we can move, like let the, the liquidity flow between Ethereum and Cosmos just open the floodgate. I think because Cosmos has, to me, some of, if not... It, it, Maybe the best devs in the in the world is uh, it, like Cosmos oh, we've has got the crazy best devs. developers. We've we've had the best devs for a long time. That. We build the best yeah. infrastructure. <laughs> I think that the biggest issue with Cosmos is we've focused too much on the infrastructure for a long time. Yeah. But I think that if you know anything about compounding gains, if you look at a chart, the log chart that goes straight up into the right starts off slow and then gains steam. What you're seeing right now is that inflection point in that chart where it starts to go exponential in vertical. And that's because of all of the deep infrastructure work we've put in over the years. You know, there's a hundred different chains each doing thousands of transactions per second. That's way faster than Solana because we're doing it across a bunch of different chains. Now, Solana is fantastic. That's the other approach to scaling. I think they do a great job, not to knock them at all. We'll see IBC over to Solana this cycle for sure. 
Um, but yeah, what Cosmos does is something that no one else can. There's a reason that, you know, all these big projects like DYDX and uh, people don't <coughs> realize like Thornton is a is built using Cosmos. Yep. Uh, Say now recently and Celestia, all these, there's a reason so many people are building here and it's because like the, the toolkit, the, the SDKs, the, 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 the intellectual mind share here is, is massive. That's what's always interesting me in Cosmos. What, what, you know, I think Cosmos maybe has been missing over the years is maybe they focus too much on the development and not enough on like marketing. And then I think that liquidity flow where Ethereum is this black hole, I think we need to, we need to open up like a, a portal to that black hole of liquidity. So that could come over, you know, to the Cosmos more. Yeah. You know, this is what I've spent most of the last year doing those, those two startups I mentioned who are building uh, IBC to Ethereum, we've invested in both of those. We've worked really hard to help them come to market. Additionally, Composable is doing a lot of things. One of the things that they're working on is an Ethereum bridge. Um, we've also worked with Composable. Um, the- Wait, say one more time, the two, the two projects, I'm gonna write, there, I'm gonna come back and listen to this, but there's, there's the three, two projects that are- IBC. Yeah, there's three. There's um, Polymer, uh, which is some ex-Badger DAO folks. Um, there is, oh, I, I love, I love the guys over at Badger. Yeah. There's union who is an ex, uh, composable team. And then there's composable. Awesome. Yeah. I'd heard of union. Cool. We'll look into these. Appreciate it. Yeah. Does do any other speakers have, oh, go ahead, Jack. Yeah. But the, the, the other thing to help bring over Ethereum liquidity is CCTP. So, you know, you can do this with USDT too. Um, but CCTP is Circle's Data Bridge, and it allows users to move USDC to and from any chain where USDC gets issued. And this allows people from mainnet Ethereum or Avalanche or Polygon or 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 to bring that USDC directly into Cosmos and use it immediately. And, and you know, the combination of that plus Wormhole, which is another company we've worked with and helped enable their Cosmos connection. Um, or Axelar, which is also built on top of the Cosmos SDK, which enables uh, native interoperability between different EVM chains and, and Cosmos. Like, there's no one silver bullet. There's a shitload of lead bullets, and we have a lot of bullets here. Yeah, I love what Axelar is doing. And of all the bridges, of all the third party, I do, I do talk a lot about how we need to get rid of third party bridges. I mean, I think that becomes, unless they can become fully trustless, which I think Axelar is like definitely moving in that direction. But um, yeah, I, I think Axelar is doing really cool stuff with everybody. I know QuickSwap has been has been building, we've been building uh, cross-chain swaps with them for like, a, I don't know, a year now. We've been working on the, the architecture, uh, how it'll fit in with our swaps and then swaps across the industry. So yeah, cool stuff. We'll solve these things. Sometimes it takes time, but we will solve all these things. Yeah, you know, humans are good at solving yeah, problems. I, I like to think about the many armed bandit. You know, th this is a like if you're gonna try to get a slot machine to pay out, you need to pull a lot of levers, and you want to have as many arms as you can. You want to attack this problem with as many independent threads as possible. And like this is what the U.S. did when we were building the atomic bomb. There were five different ways each which costs, let's say, like $100 million to prove out. And we we knew that only one of them was going to work and one of them was going to be successful. So we had to just try everything, see what worked, and then go. And, you know, this is the approach we've taken in Cosmos as well. We've 
funded and built with as many teams as possible to try out as much of the problem space as we can to figure out where the wells are, to figure out where the the future is going and to be there first. And, you know, because of the amazing developer community here, we've been able to do that. Awesome. Really good having you, Jack. Yeah. Hopefully uh, you can come shed some more light uh, another time. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've gone way over, guys. I think this was only supposed to be like an hour and it's been, I think we're at two and a half hours now. So a lot of fun stuff to yeah. talk about. Uh, exciting things happening in Cosmos. And this feels like, uh, it feels like 2024. I mean, after Terra Luna collapse and all these things that happened and um, I think also partially a, a lot of the, the infighting and kind of factions that happened in the last bull run in Cosmos. I think a lot of those are dying down. People have like the hardship has brought in people together. I think a lot of the people who are kind of like trying to fight about the different factions and all these things. I think everybody realizes we're stronger together in the Cosmos. So I think that uh, you're seeing a lot of people working really, yeah. really closely and old enemies becoming friends. And uh, I, I, I think. <laughs> Terra Luna, <laughs> did did you have a comment there? <laughs> I you're subtweeting me. It's funny. Um, anyway, yeah, Rock, uh, you should hit me up. We should chat sometime. But uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Really appreciate giving me a few minutes to chat. Yeah, thank you so much, Jack. Cool guys. Um, yeah, I think cool. I think this this Cosmos is a year though with all the great. I mean, there's so much stuff launching in the Cosmos. There's so many things that people don't realize are Cosmos. Like I said, like Thorchain. People don't know Thorchain is, is built on Cosmos. Uh, Axelar, all these, like you could just name like 50 things and people don't realize that all of these things are, are built using, you know, Tenderman, IBC and all these, these great, you know, Gigabrain uh, developer tools. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, just to add to that as well, just a PSA. If you, if you want to vote in the proposal, please do so. Because obviously, regardless of your opinions on this, positive or negative, um, you should always vote to make your vote heard. Even if your vote is to abstain, if that's the way you feel, then go do it. Because uh, that's how we, we get consensus, right? Is we, we talk these things out, we make a big discussion thread, we discuss on spaces like this, and then we go vote. So it's important that you exercise that. Cool. Do, uh, does everyone want to say bye? Thanks, thanks everyone. Jack, do you want to go ahead and uh, close us out? And uh, we can thank everyone who, who came and spoke. I know a bunch of people had to hop off. It's been two and a half hours. So <laughs> yeah, they listen to the recording. Thanks for, for coming. <laughs> We was fielding some DMs from um, from various people asking asking how much longer we was going to go on, and then and then Jack jumped on after that. So it's like, yeah, this is going to go on for a while. Uh, but yeah, um, thanks to everybody for coming. Uh, stay. I just wanted to give them a shout out. We we dropped them early on so we could uh, bring up uh, Dave from API three, but then um, I think Stay had to go, so then they couldn't come back on. So just apologies there, Stay, and we'll we'll definitely get you on next time for a more chat. What what about Hover too? Hover has their 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 TGE their their launch of and their launch of their uh, a part, part of their product. Yes, they have. Uh, Vincent mentioned that at the start, but I think Hover's dropped now. I can't see anybody from can't see um, any of the Hover team, but um, maybe that's something we can do next time because um, I think it will coincide quite nicely with their plans, maybe. Because uh, if we do another one in, in a couple of weeks, uh, that should be kind of go time. So they'd be able to really spill some alpha for the community. Yeah, I want to provide them some support. I wanted to give them some time to speak today, but I guess we just got caught, carried away in all these other topics. <laughs> a lot of good stuff as always. But um, yeah, thanks everyone for coming to the second episode. Um, this was really cool. Um, 
I was just Morgan Elizabeth. I had, I guess I kind of had a lot of questions I had to throw in, but um, yeah, Hubbard is interesting. Um, do people know, I don't even know if people know who, what team that's by, or if I'm allowed to say the other stuff that that team built. I don't know if that's, if I'm allowed to say so. Maybe I'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll just give on. them a, we'll just give them a bigger segment next time and they, they can, they can deep dive for us. Cool. Yeah. Keep, keep an eye out. They're going to be doing their launch with Dowmaker. Uh, it's a Kava lending protocol and they built some pretty big stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say so. I don't know if they're like doxed with all that or not, but yeah, built some really big uh, other protocols. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll ask them, see if they can talk about it next time. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for them. Yeah, for sure. And if I can ask uh, listeners, if you go ahead and follow some of our speakers, the, you know, these guys are titans of the industry. They've built a bunch of cool stuff. Um, some of them uh, like, you know, incredible contributions like, Trev there with his uh with his hundred thousand developers on his platform. So yeah, like absolutely follow these guys. You'll you'll get great insights from them, and really these are the leaders in our space. So please go ahead. And Trev is uh I think has has been kind enough to offer that if um if any of the projects that we are working on, I don't know if it's if any. He specifically uh, Rock. talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm, actually, actually, but... I'm actually still here. <laughs> yeah, so that's gonna go. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know I got your DM. But I was just going to say you, that maybe people, if people are looking to do hackathons, that you can support in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we support hackathons in over 100 ecosystems, and I'll, I'll be really quick. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in hackathons or, or anything else that we do. Uh, we also do staking, institutional staking, you know, lots of other stuff. Um, but, but Rock, what I was mentioning you about is like we actually have an open initiative right now for anybody building public goods in Cosmos. Uh, if you are building public goods in Cosmos, you can submit uh, a grant application, uh, and those are open until the 19th. So uh, there's a link in the uh, actual uh, post for the space. Feel free to do it. If you have questions, let me know. Uh, but that's all I was sending. <laughs> I love it. That, yeah. That's awesome. awesome. And we're, yeah, we're, we're, really we're probably, probably going to take you up on, on that hackathon. I, I know that... Uh, Doge Chain has been talking about doing a hackathon for a bit, and would be would be really cool if, uh, yeah, we could partner on that uh, and let's see do what, it. what kind of cool stuff people want to build for Doge. Yeah, let's do that'd it. Be super interesting. Um, Red Eye, um, do you want to have any concluding thoughts? Just want to thank you guys for having me on here. Really enjoyed the conversation, getting to learn some <clears throat> learn some stuff outside of the Secret Network. You know, super focused on private DeFi. It's always nice to peek my head out and get to see what other people are working on. Yeah, it's pretty cool to get some insights straight from Jack as well. It was great that he jumped on and uh, clarified some stuff for us. Um, and uh, yeah, went, did, did quite a deep dive, to be honest. It was a really good bonus. Um, that, did you that, was, that was not planned either. That was just uh, no, random. That was pretty cool. I mean, that's the, that's the like really amazing uh, thing about spaces. Because they, you know, like when you join a space, and particularly when you speak, um, you can your, you know, your network that that follows you can see that you're on that space when they click in your profile, um, and also it, it shows up on the top bar right for your followers. Um, so you have these like network effects, and I think potentially with Jack, maybe Lex, um, I don't know if you DM'd him or something to get him on, but um, he, he may have just been in the audience and been listening. So it's pretty cool when you get those reach effects. It's happened a bunch of times with all to Polygon. We get some amazing guests sometimes on that one. Oh yeah we've, we've had, probably got enough on all roads lead to polygon we've had lawyers playmates 
politicians, uh, <laughs> Coinbase, uh, Robin Hood, uh, Magic Eden, all kinds of, and most of those are usually planned. But uh, this one, yeah, this was not planned. I think, I do think that Cripplecito might have DM Jack about our spaces, uh, just letting him know uh, that it exists, that we're doing this new, you know, into the cosmos, like cosmos focused spaces. Um, so I think he did DM him, but I don't know if that he DM'd him this time or what. Who knows? But maybe Chris that's how he thought. Uh, Chris has been amazing with this, like helping raise awareness. Like I know he's not on the space today because it's a super awkward time for him. But shout out to CEO, just helping with the um, with the contacts in the background and stuff. It's always appreciated, man. Thank you. Yeah, he, he's the best at, at introductions in the cosmos. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, really. Whenever really you say cool. in, in the cosmos, it always makes it sound so epic. You know, like. Yeah, it's like it's the most epic ecosystem for sure. Yeah, he's um, he's also an advisor of Kinetics. Uh we, and yes. myself we're both co-advisors of uh Kinetics and also Samip over at QuickSwap, uh my co-founder at QuickSwap. Uh so yeah, cool stuff. So I've uh, I've been for a long time trying to find a way to bridge. Like you, you can see I do talk about it a lot is uh on the polygon spaces and on even on Doge chain spaces stuff. I've talked about my goal is to bridge and to like bring together Cosmos and Ethereum and Polygon. And I mean, we've been trying to do this for a long time. So I'm glad to see there's finally some initiatives actually that are happening because like we were trying to get Polygon to become IBC enabled for a long time. Uh, so we, we like, they already kind of knew each other, you know, different people at like uh, on the Cosmos, different developer teams and, uh, and uh, foundation and, and um, Polygon, like uh, I guess foundation or founders. And uh, it just didn't work out. I guess they were both just focused on other things. They they were both interested, but it just never happened. And so I'm trying. We're still trying to push for this. I really want to see this happen because I think Cosmos really does have like incredible intellectual capital. And uh, I think you know Ethereum has all the liquidity and like the big you know all the all the big the big institutions are on Ethereum. And now if we can bridge the two, I think uh, it's better for both worlds for sure. Yes, absolutely. So just before we wrap up, um, I did hear from Persistence. Do you want to just uh, give you closing thoughts? Because we've just asked everybody else. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think uh, I personally didn't realize that it's been two and a half hours. It was such a lovely space. You know, a lot of interesting topics to talk about, a lot of interesting speakers as well. You know, definitely look forward to the next one as well. Uh, I think, you know, you can just, you know, perfectly summarize 2024 or just, you know, the last few years of, you know, as you know, all roads, I think, either lead to or originate from Cosmos. And uh, I think it's great to see Cosmos get the limelight it deserves. Uh, you know, for us specifically, for Persistence, it's been a phenomenal ride, you know, because we started building in a time when IBC didn't exist, you know. But then it's safe to say that, you know, we're here to stay and we'll be here bringing liquid staking yields for tokens like Atom, Osmo, DYDX, XPRT, ING, Say. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'll just sign off with one word that's Persistence. We've got we've got a little rivalry, I think, just started right there when you said all roads lead to Cosmos. And, and uh, I, I think I don't know if you know, but I'm co-host of the all roads lead to Polygon uh, Twitter spaces. So now maybe we could have a, a, a fun little rivalry. Uh, I, I love both. I, but <laughs> we could uh, we could we could manufacture a little team team rivalry there. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I think spa like spaces like this are super important in just generally raising awareness of like important things when they come up, like votes and ETF approvals and stuff. But just providing a, a place where people can come together and have these discussions is, is really, really important.
And uh, so, yeah, so shout out to all the teams out there that are working hard to make spaces a big thing, whether it's, uh, you know, you're hosting a small space with 10 of your friends discussing NFTs or whatever, or you're hosting a mega space like some of the guys out there. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see it. Did, did Lex say bye? I can't remember. Oh, possibly no, not. But, uh, you can, have, you can to... have the final word. Go for it. Go yeah, ahead. I appreciate that. We'll have to exchange a final greetings and passage. For anybody who uh, is interested in uh, the only real uh, metaverse product, uh, I feel like everything else is just a fad, but we're creating something that's like got a real revenue opportunity. We've already sold to with large brands. Um, and it's just a cool experience uh, down to have some conversations there. So definitely going to be talking to you, Trev, uh, about some, Wait, shout uh, out your project again. Passage. Passage IO on Twitter. Uh, they're one of the listeners here, too. So just look at the big, cute eyes and you'll find Passage. Um, yeah, so we should go hang out there. I'll definitely be talking to you, Trev, about some of the open source stuff we're building. So, if it's a yeah. metaverse, did you say it was a metaverse project, like? Yeah, essentially, that's an easy way of understanding so, it. it but, may, um, maybe in the future, we could host the uh, Into the Cosmos episode from there. Oh heck yeah, heck yeah! I mean, the, the the cool thing about it, in in just a in just a word, is that um, it's the graphics of Unreal Engine, but the accessibility of the browser. So you know, get the best of both worlds. Everyone can get in with one click. So it's a blast, a blast. Nice. That sounds good. That's certainly worth looking into for sure. All right, guys. Uh, we're coming up on the two and a half. Well, it's two thirty-three now. Um, so I'll let everybody get on with their day. Everybody's got like busy projects to run, a lot of stuff to do, and trades to close. Real out. quick, real quick. One last uh, like uh, little uh, item is uh, just uh, thanks to the audience, everyone who's here. I see a lot of uh, crossover. I see some some uh, Polygon uh, community members. I see some. Doge chain community members. Uh, I see, uh, let's do some shout outs. I see Crypto Canuck, uh, who's, uh, I think both the D, I know DC, but I think also a Polygon fan. We've got um, Priyanka Kamath, uh, who does 100 girls in blockchain. Uh, we've got uh, some Japanese letters that I can't read. Oh, Uwan Satanoshi. Um, we've got the class. CFA. Uh, we've got Greg Weld at Crypto Lab Tech listening. We've got Wise Crypto Moves. Give some audience members a follow, guys. I'm going to follow some of these audience members, and uh, hopefully we can all connect in this digital world. Uh, we've got Chris Bushido Brown following you. We've got Secret Austin uh, with a Cosmos emoji definitely following you. We've got. Um, Magic Steve, we've got Vasco Faria Blanc, we've got I'm tr uh, we've got a bunch of numbers and letters <laughs> that I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, okay. We've got Tom of Stark, meme coin guy and DeFi Army. Uh, we've got let's see, QF3LK Chain Tools. We've got uh, a guy with a pretty. That is a really cool emoji. Is that a um a not emoji PFP? I think that's a um. I can't remember the name of them. I like that though. That's pretty cool. It's like a sword, a samurai sword with sunglasses. Looks slick. Uh, we've got, we'll do just a few more here. Uh, we've got Lunatic Fringe. We've got Leo Mon. We've got Faran Mithani. And we've got Orion Cosmo <laughs> Cosmologist, definitely following you at the Cybernetics Group. Uh, let's see, any other interesting looking? PFPs, uh, Pasqual La Rosa. All right, guys, that's it.
uh, yeah, the audience is, uh, as always, is, is who makes this possible. Cheers, guys. Catch you later on another episode of Into the Cosmos. Here, don't Jeez. close it out just yet. I'm trying to follow some people, but leave it for like <laughs> 20 seconds while I follow people. But bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Exodus Crypto Thank Wallet. Is that the real Exodus? Dude, I've been using, I, I used to use that wallet in like 2016, 17. It looks like it might be a real account. Cheers to, oh yeah, it is the real Exodus is listening. Cool, you guys are awesome. You guys were early in the wallet game. DM us uh, on the Kinetics account and we'll, we'll make some connection and we can have you up next time. Yeah, that would be great. Be great to have Exodus up. I'm curious what you guys are doing. You guys had the slick, by far the slickest cross-chain crypto wallet uh in 2017 by far by far i still have some assets on a on a on some exodus colds on in cold storage that were generated on exodus i still have assets on you actually uh so cool to see you're still around i mean it's it's, it's cold storage anyway so there would be a way to access it but good to know there's still a front end <laughs> you guys are og all right guys see y'all next time see you later Motherfuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first Come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of trash Is under the dirt We rape them under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and plate Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless Trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments Red down days got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these tokenomics They probing this bear, flexing broken honest I had to lay my soul down, I'm just roasting honest And then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic Never known the politic, I was born to frolic It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom Over impossible loss, it's all moss And I'm liking the odds Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds Flick the cap, though the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape them under the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lace Stacked in non-toxic just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage like the shit is play for keeps Clowns white knight and all these Maybelines They call it implausible when model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your communitility All these low hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and blunder the earth Say and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served
Spaces. <laughs>